This is the multi-voice text-to-speech podfic reading of The Adventures of Captain Sirius Black and His Most Excellent Dragon Padfoot by Optimistic Dinosaur, composed by Burning Aurora. Chapter 1 In Which Sirius Black is Adopted by a Dragon It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Captain Sirius Black very happily single and previously in possession of such a fortune, though he had long since left that behind for his young brother to inherit, prided himself on outrunning, or, considering his career as a privateer, outsailing, such a want. Were it not already a fact that his natural inclinations would vastly prefer a husband, if such a thing were legal, he also loathed the thought of being committed forever to another until death did they part. It was then, perhaps, one of fate's greatest jokes that Captain Sirius Black was about to be irrevocably selected as lifetime companion by the most loyal and stubborn of beings, and one who was also absolutely guaranteed to outlive him. This is the story of how Sirius Black got a dragon named Padfoot. Or, perhaps more accurately, this is the story of how a dragon named Padfoot got one Sirius Black. It is also the story of how Captain Sirius Black met and fell hopelessly in love with one Lieutenant Remus Lupin, longtime dragon aviator, and because fate really does love irony, the only man on British soil less partial to commitment than himself. But that part comes later. First, we must turn our eyes to the bustling ports of Istanbul, where one frantic James Potter and his placid dragon, Prongs, are either swearing voraciously, James, or calling attention to particularly interesting cloud formations, prongs, as they have just missed their boat. Istanbul, 1805, Year 4 of the Napoleonic Wars Sirius adored Istanbul. The Golden Horn, its huge harbor crowded with ships of every nation, glittered in the sunlight and provided entry to a vast and sprawling metropolis filled with mosques and minarets of every shape and size, along with narrow, winding streets filled with coffee houses and delectable cuisine. A man could easily get lost for days and still not have experienced everything the city had to offer. They had stopped in to refuel and provide the crew a chance to rest after a long and grueling voyage that had included no less than two scrapes with French warships, one of which had left his quartermaster, Kingsley Shacklebolt, with two fewer fingers than he possessed at the start of their voyage and one almost shipwreck off the coast of Greece during a particularly nasty storm. The marauder, his pride and joy, had limped into port a few weeks ago on her last legs, and it had taken almost every penny they had to put her back together. Now though, with his ship back in shape, Sirius happily popped another olive into his mouth, enjoying the salty tang as he picked his way through the closest marketplace to the docks. Though it had recently become less fashionable, his long black hair was still scraped back into a messy queue, wavy tendrils of which escaped and framed, with casual elegance, a handsome, angular face, fair skin long since tanned by the mid-ocean sun, and his gray eyes were alight with good cheer. Do you know? He mused. I could settle down here. I really think I could. You said the same of Lisbon, Shacklebolt said patiently. And of Halifax before that, both held your attention perhaps a month before you were begging me to chart a new course. Ah, well, Halifax. Sirius waved his hand airily. Listen, it was bloody freezing by the time we left, all right? Why would I ever choose Halifax when I can enjoy the sun in Istanbul? 
Yes, it was entirely due to your hankering for sun, and nothing at all to do with that soldier up at the fort, Fennec, wasn't it? Shacklebolt's deadpan was perfect, long honed from years of their friendship at sea. Oh right, I forgot you knew about that one. Sirius frowned. You know, you are entirely too familiar with my supposedly secret entanglements, Kingsley. That's because they secretly all come crying to me once you're done with them, asking how they can better entice you to stay. Shacklebolt raised one dark brow and Sirius snorted. Frankly, he didn't see why the poor souls wouldn't just set their sights on his equally handsome shipmate. Shacklebolt's smooth, deep black skin, broad shoulders and deadpan would certainly would have enticed him, had he not already ruined any chance of seduction through years of the man's overexposure to the less charming aspects of his personality. It was, admittedly, hard to see Sirius as a sensual being when one had also seen him on numerous occasions hungover and sweat-stained, moaning for the sea to take him and end his suffering. A quartermaster's work is never done. Particularly when said quartermaster's captain is hell-bent on bedding someone in every port. There has been no bedding in Istanbul. Sirius protested. My only true love is the food, speaking of which. He brightened. Let's stop by that fruit stand by the ship on our way back. Honestly, Kingsley, you haven't lived until you've tried their oranges. That may be difficult, Captain. How so? Well, Kingsley said dryly. It appears that a dragon has just set it on fire. What? I am so sorry, sir, so sorry. Yes, we'll pay. We'll pay for all the fruit, I swear. A harried-looking wiry Turkish man in a green coat was waving his hands in wild gestures of apology in front of the furious fruit cart owner. His black hair was sticking up in every possible direction, glasses perched haphazardly on a thin face, light brown cheeks flushed bronze under the scrutiny and the heat from the still-burning stand. Why would you bring a kazilic to this marketplace? Are you insane? The angry merchant's hands were waving just as wildly. You think anyone wants roasted fruit in this heat? Huh. The dragon in question was curled into a sheepish ball behind them as if trying to be as inconspicuous as possible or at least as much as a scarlet. Twenty-ton dragon with steaming black prongs up and down his spine could be. Which is to say, not at all. I didn't mean to, he said sadly. It's dusty here and I had to sneeze. The merchant looked taken aback at being addressed by the dragon directly. He blinked rapidly and then decided to continue directing his tirade at the human, perhaps identifying a much lower likelihood of getting eaten should things go south. Those oranges were handpicked this morning. Oh God, that's just tragic. Sirius groaned before he could stop himself, and the man in the green coat turned to look at him. Steady on, it's just a pile of flambéed fruit. Mate, nobody's died, he said. Only my hopes and dreams, Sirius mourned. Your hopes and dreams for eating oranges, Sirius said gravely. There was a brief, confused pause as everyone considered this, and then the man in the green coat let out a surprised giggle. I, I cannot tell if you're serious, he said, and Sirius grinned. Captain Sirius, actually. Sirius Black, privateer of the Marauder, at your service. Captain James Potter, His Majesty's Aerial Corps, of this allergy beset behemoth, prongs for my sins. Potter smoothed down his green coat, which was indeed the uniform for the Dragon Flying Division of the British Service. Hey, said Prongs indignantly. And are you going to pay for my destroyed merchandise, Captain Black? 
The merchant behind them snapped. Because if not, go away. I have already said I would pay. Potter reached into his pocket and retrieved a letter of credit, which he handed to the man. There, take this, and let us get on our way, there's a good fellow. Not that there's anywhere to get to, Prong said mournfully. We still don't have a boat to England, James. Ship, Sirius corrected automatically, and then kicked himself when the dragon's massive head turned to look at him. Up close, there were quite a lot of very sharp teeth, even if the dragon himself seemed friendly. Ah, it would be a ship, not a boat. Boats are small, you see. You wouldn't fit on one. Really? Prongs looked fascinated. James, we have been calling it the wrong thing all this time. Maybe that is why they left without us? Do you think they were insulted because we called it a boat? Potter sighed. No, my dear, I don't think that's why. I think the flaming fruit stand is why, the cowards. He finished with a mutter. Sirius laughed. As a ship's captain myself, I can't say it's our dream to carry passengers that could set the whole thing alight with a breath, no. Though I am sorry for your plight. That's right, the marauder. Potter looked up at him sharply. Your ship, have you a heading yet? Oh, hang on. Sirius raised his hands, but Potter barreled on with great determination. Because if you don't have a heading yet, I would pay. You have no idea how much to charter your ship back to England. It's imperative we make it back as soon as possible. We've precious cargo that is of the greatest import. I've no doubt you do, but... Sirius tried to interrupt again, and Potter began speaking even faster. The greatest import to national security. You're British, yes. You sound like a bloody British aristocrat, at any rate. Prongs and I both. We were sent here on a mission to assist in the war effort against the French. So please, we really need a boat. I mean, a ship. Please. I swear, whatever your next charter was, I'll pay double. Sirius looked at two hopeful faces in front of him, and then up at Shacklebolt. Well, what do you think, Kingsley? Double pay and a dragon for company to boot? Shacklebolt eyed prongs warily. I think, well, we've already annoyed Napoleon's forces on the way over, and we just got the ship repaired. Indeed. Sirius agreed. And you cannot exactly hide a dragon, were we to come across another French vessel. Not to mention, we have never carried a dragon before, Captain. No. Sirius mused. And this one just set a wooden fruit stand on fire. So he did. And our ship is also made of wood, Captain. Very true. You've already decided you'll do it, haven't you? Shacklebolt sighed. Sirius smiled and shrugged. It sounds like an adventure. Our only other plan was to try Halifax again and you know how I feel about that. Your impulsiveness knows no bounds. Shacklebolt grumbled. I prefer to think of it as courage, Sirius said cheerily. He turned and stuck out his hand to Potter, who was not even pretending not to eavesdrop, dark eyes gleaming. He grabbed onto Sirius's hand like the offer might disappear if he weren't quick enough, and they shook on it. Welcome aboard the Marauder, Captain James Potter. And prongs, the dragon reminded him brightly. Ah, yes. Sirius reached out and tentatively tapped one hand against the dragon's offered talons. And Prongs, of course. Prongs beamed, then sneezed again. A small jet of fire shot overhead, and Sirius very much hoped he hadn't just made a terrible mistake. Despite initial misgivings, Prongs turned out to be a good-natured shipmate. The dragon curled himself up at the bow, 
and very solemnly promised to only sneeze over the side of the ship into the water. Sirius had never before considered that a dragon might have a personality as vivid as a human's, but he quickly learned to appreciate Prong's calm, pondering nature, which led him to be more a danger to the basic tenets of Greek philosophy than to the structural integrity of the ship. He and his captain also quickly won the crew over by offering Prong's body heat to any man who preferred to sleep above deck, a rare prize as autumn was creeping in. The amiable dragon would happily allow those brave enough to sleep with their bodies nestled against his warm tail. Sirius, meanwhile, delighted in the continued company of James Potter. Born and raised in the south of the Ottoman Empire, James had emigrated to England as a youth after a distant second cousin had died young, leaving no heirs to the vast Potter estate but his bewildered merchant father, who had nevertheless dutifully packed up their storefront and relocated his family from the warmth of their homeland to the chilly moors of the English countryside. His offspring, James, was as enthusiastic as Prongs was placid and a fierce competitor at cards. Indeed, it wasn't long before the two of them had a game on the go every evening, which began with winning money and soon moved to winning a favor from the other, a far more interesting and highly entertaining prospect. I hope you are prepared to lose the next round. Potter sat back down one evening in Sirius's small cabin, raucous applause from the crew still audible, after having stood on deck and recited in full a particularly filthy poem entitled Senior Dildo, by the late Lord Wilmot. Oh, you may give it your best, Potter. Sirius chuckled, shuffling his hand. Frankly, I am impressed you remembered every word. I suppose the morally dubious reputation of aviators has some truth to it. Potter snorted. Society would have you believe we are all feckless libertines, rollicking around in the small enclaves we live in with our dragons and bedding any man or woman who will have us. And is that not true? Why else do you all live in dragon covers way out in the countryside, if not for the feckless bedding? Sirius laughed. It sounds like a slog otherwise, to be in service to the crown. There must be some perks. I should think the notorious runaway heir to the grim old estate would fully understand the appeal of living far away from stuffy ballrooms and endless, boring dinners. Potter met his startled eyes with a smirk. Oh yes, Captain Sirius Black, your reputation does precede you. I did not think petty London gossip would carry so far as covers in Scotland, frankly. Next you will tell me the dragons themselves know I am the shame of the Black Dynasty. They are the world's worst gossips, believe me, Potter said wryly. But no, I only know because my father is in the import business and has grown successful enough that I hear most of the news du jour through my mother. She does love a good dinner party. He mock shuddered and threw down his first card on the small card table before them. We are of a kindred spirit, I see. Sirius grinned. You are not wrong. I threw off those shackles as soon as I was able and ran off to sea at 16. Thankfully, they had a spare. My brother Regulus inherited a few years ago and is off doing whatever a Lord Black is expected to do in the House of Lords. Smoking cigars and tearing his hair out over how the war with Napoleon is bad for the economy, no doubt. Potter raised his mug in toast. To throwing off our shackles, my friend. Whether freedom is found on the backs of dragons or decks of boats. Ships, Potter, I swear to God. May we fecklessly bed to our heart's content. Potter finished, ignoring him, and drained his coffee with a single gulp. Though he refrained from alcohol, as was common in the Ottoman Empire, Sirius had learned one could set a reliable clock by the obscene amounts of coffee the man consumed of an evening, and the subsequent rising in speed and volume of his speech. 
Here, here. Sirius barked a laugh and followed suit with his own glass of whiskey. In all honesty, though, we live in the dragon coverts because the dragons need us. Potter said more soberly, several games later. When a dragon is born, they bond almost immediately with their captain, who raises them by hand. You cannot exactly fit a dragon in the streets of London. And there is no being more loyal or true than a dragon, you know. It is more than an occupation, it is a lifelong commitment to be companions, in wartime, or in peace. He sighed, looking past the window, lost in some unseen memory. If we need them to do battle against Napoleon's own dragon forces, the least we can do in return for such a sacrifice is offer our own fealty. If society chooses to look down on aviators because of that, it is of no concern to us. Sirius frowned. I must say, I don't know if I could make such a lifelong commitment. I've always preferred the freedom to be able to go off on my own. To be so beholden to another. Ah, oh, I thought like you once. Potter shrugged. Then my family moved from Istanbul to London, with nothing but a Kazalik egg to offer, to start our new life. By the time we arrived, prongs had hatched and we were thoroughly bonded. I would not have parted with him for the world, so I too enlisted in the corps. It is a wonderful place, really. Sirius shifted uncomfortably, unprepared for the more solemn turn the conversation had taken. Potter seemed to sense this, for he pulled himself back into the present and winked. Anything that may occur outside of the prying eyes of society, of course, is merely an additional perk of the job. Sirius was not given the chance to reply. A great cry had arisen from outside, and then Shacklebolt burst in, holding one of Potter's bags in front of him as if it would bite. And Sirius realized with a start, it was biting. A small hole had been torn in the fabric, and from the depths, a tiny set of black jaws was snapping at the air and screeching. Good Lord! Sirius exclaimed as both he and Potter jumped out of their seats. Is that? Bitmundungus Fletcher right on the ass, Captain. Shacklebolt informed them, as the bag began to struggle more violently in his arms. Potter quickly grabbed hold and placed it carefully on the floor, feeling carefully around the edges. He sitted. He sitted on me. The bag squeaked in muffled outrage. Potter, you didn't say there were two dragons on this ship. Sirius knelt down beside him. There weren't. Potter protested. Only prongs and one egg. Oh lord, this is bad, this is very bad. It is too early for him to hatch, his captain's not here. On my head like a stool. The bag repeated shrilly as Potter struggled to hold the drawstrings together. Let me out. I will bite him again. I will. Sirius bit back a sudden laugh. Sat on you like a stool, hmm? He asked. How insulting. The bag stilled momentarily. There was a little shuffle, as one vaguely head-shaped lump shifted towards him. I am not a stool. The bag agreed. I am a dragon. Indeed. Sirius affirmed and reached out a tentative hand to pat the bag. The fabric snuffled warmly under his fingers, and then two smaller lumps reached out and grasped his wrist, like a baby bat clinging onto a branch. Black, Potter warned. I would move away if I were you. He won't bite me, will you? Sirius said soothingly. And if we let you out, give you a little food, you won't bite poor Mundungus again either, so long as he does not sit on you? The bag was quiet for a little bit. And then there was a tiny, muffled. Well. All right. May I come out now? Sirius quickly undid the drawstrings of the sack, and a small black head popped out, 
large golden eyes blinking in the sudden light, followed by a long neck, and then a rotund body the size of a small dog, black flecked with hints of gold, and a gently wagging tail. He looked up at Sirius, sniffed him once, and immediately scrambled onto his lap, wriggling around until he was belly up and quite satisfied. Sirius gave him a cautious scratch. His scales were warm and surprisingly soft. The little dragon gave a small hum of delight. Will you give me my name now? He asked. And then we can eat? I heard a lot about Grog while I was in my shell. All the men like it very much. I should like to try some. I, um. Sirius looked up at Potter for help, and saw his brown skin had turned ashen. What does he mean? Give him a name? Um. Potter scratched his head awkwardly. You know how. Dragons pick a human to bond with. The naming, it seals the bond. What? Sirius looked down at the contented beast, who was watching him expectantly. Oh no, you have it all wrong, darling. You've a captain waiting for you, in England. But I don't want a different human. The little dragon frowned. I want you to name me. Well, he can't. You are part of the British Aerial Corps, little one, and Sirius here is not. You'll be parted once we reach port, but a nice new captain will be there to meet you. Potter said, false cheer in his voice. No. The dragon wailed and scrambled up Sirius's shoulders, curling around his neck like an angry, possessive scarf. I want this one. I don't want to go to England without Sirius. But I am a privateer, darling. Sirius stroked the dragon's nose, a funny little twinge of affection in his gut. I sail around the world, and dragons don't do that. They go serve in the core, or live in the dragon breeding grounds in the wilds, if they don't wish to serve. I can sail, the dragon protested. I will be an even better sailor than that Mundungus Fletcher. He cried when I only bit him a little bit, you know. Does one have to win a place on your ship? I could fight him. I will be his omen of death. Whoa. Sirius chuckled as the dragon began flapping his wings, intending to take off and terrorize poor Fletcher once more. He grabbed him around the middle, holding him to his chest. No, her fighting on my ship, please. You cannot win a place on my crew, darling, I'm sorry. You already have a place in England. But, the dragon looked up at him sadly, blinking hard. Don't you want me? I, Sirius swallowed. Truth be told, he was already rather fond of the creature. He hadn't known dragons were so intelligent right out of the shell, and this one, bloodlust towards Fletcher aside, was thoroughly charming. The idea of enlisting in the corps, however, was not. Ah, it's not a question of wanting you. Potter, help me. If you do not want me, I will leave, the dragon said in a little voice. I shall go live in the wild. No, Potter broke in panicked. Little one, you cannot do that, we need you. Black, he turned to Sirius in a low voice. Black, I know it is a lot to ask. I know, but this is a flamme de gloire, they're the prize fire-breathing species of Napoleon, and it took both hell and high water for us to get an egg. Britain has never been able to successfully breed a fire-breather. Aside from Prongs, who was a gift from Istanbul, we have none. We need him. He took a deep breath. Which, which means, we need you. If dragons don't take to a human, they do run off. And this one is so little, he'll likely be eaten in a matter of days. Potter. Sirius began weakly. He looked at the dragon in his arms, who was gazing back adoringly, 
as if he could not imagine being anywhere better in the whole world, as if Sirius was worthy of every good thing on earth. He thought about the same little dragon by himself, alone in the wilds. There was another funny little tug in his chest. He sighed. Feckless bedding, you said. I shall sing your praises to every eligible person in the bloody covert. I'll bed you myself if it helps. Potter promised fervently. Unnecessary, though I thank you for the offer. Sirius gave a weak half-smile. He looked back down at the dragon. You really are an omen of doom, aren't you, Padfoot? Is that my name? Padfoot did an excited wiggle, and stretched his soft black head up to lick Sirius's cheek with a rough, reptilian tongue. Padfoot! My name is Padfoot! He repeated to Potter and Shacklebolt proudly. Hello, Padfoot! Potter replied, patting his head. He looked up at Sirius, eyes brimming with relief. Thank you, Black. Sirius. If we are to be in the core together, you may as well call me Sirius. Then I insist on you calling me James. And thank you, Sirius. Truly. Captain. Shacklebolt finally spoke. The men, the ship. Sirius swallowed hard. I. I am sure you'll manage both admirably. Captain Shacklebolt. Shacklebolt blinked. You cannot just give me your ship, Sirius. Are you mad? You have more than earned it. We. We can discuss the particulars later, perhaps. Yes. Padfoot piped up. Talk later. Grog now. Sirius let out a weak laugh. You are a dragon after my own heart, darling. He said, and went to break out the grog barrel. Let me go, you big, mean thing. Padfoot squirmed again as Prongs's heavy talons kept him pinned in place. The wood of the deck was rough against his scales, which was a rather pleasant sensation, much like Sirius scratching his back. Only Padfoot had not chosen this position and therefore was not at all inclined to like it at the moment. Not until you are sober enough that we know you will not set the ship on fire, Prongs said serenely. Again, he added after a moment. The men drink grog all the time and you do not pin them to the ground, Padfoot said sulkily. This is unfair, Sirius. He hiccuped a little, startling himself, and blinked up plaintively at his captain, who was above him, arms folded across his broad chest. The men do not break into the grog barrel when my back is turned, and drink the whole thing, and then set the barrel alight, Sirius said sternly, though his lips twitched slightly. Behind him, Padfoot saw Captain Shacklebolt rushing past with another bucket of sea water, followed by several panicked members of the crew. One tripped and water sloshed onto the deck, wetting Padfoot's wings. He had never touched the sea before. It was an unpleasantly cold feeling. He squeaked with alarm and Sirius relented, gesturing at prongs to relinquish him. Padfoot leapt into Sirius's arms, ignoring the oof, as the man struggled to hold his increased weight. I am sorry, really. He nuzzled into Sirius's shoulder, feeling a now familiar twinge of anxiety that Sirius might change his mind. He had been so very kind, but Padfoot had seen him with his head in his hands when he thought Padfoot asleep, James speaking low, comforting words in his ear. Only, the little sip of grog we had last week was so very good, but this time it made me all fuzzy, and I am sorry. Come on, you. Sirius laughed strolling up towards the bow and away from the smoking wreckage. He set Padfoot down so that he might enjoy the breeze coming off the front of the ship, which they had soon discovered was one of his most favorite sensations.
they had taken to spending evenings out there together, rather than sit in the dark, cramped captain's cabin. Sirius had taught him several constellations, and how to navigate with them, though Padfoot liked the legends and this he'd learned about them even better. What am I to do with you? You? You do still want me, don't you? Padfoot asked, twisting his long neck to look back at him. We really could stay on the ship if you prefer, I don't mind not going with Prongs and James. In fact the ship would be much more pleasant without a great big Prongs catching him and telling him off all the time when he was only exploring. And occasionally drinking grog. No, Padfoot, you. Um, we are needed at Lock Hogwarts. There's a war on, you know that. Yes, only you are unhappy, and I do not want you to be. Padfoot's voice had gone all little again, against his will. He rested his chin against the wooden railing. And I could be the first dragon privateer, I know I could. I would make you proud, I promise. Darling, you will make me equally proud in the aerial corps as you would on a ship. Sirius stroked his head and Padfoot's large, golden eyes closed involuntarily. He still felt a little fuzzy, truth be told, and the head pats were terribly comforting. Nothing felt too daunting with Sirius's hand on his head. Truly? And you will come with me? Yes, Hadfoot, I promise, Sirius said quietly. I said I would be your captain, and I do not go back on my word. Oh, well, that's good. I will not go back on mine either, he swore sleepily. We will be the best at battles, Sirius, once I am a bit bigger. That can be my word. That's the spirit. Sirius chuckled as Padfoot drifted off to sleep, happily nestled at his side freshly determined that he would make the covert a happy place for them both. That, he thought privately, would be his other, secret word. Lock Hogwarts would be wonderful. Lock Hogwarts was, in Sirius's mind, the last place on earth anyone could possibly want to live, although Potter pointed out cheerfully that the isolation and lack of screaming, dragon-fearing townsfolk was precisely why it had been chosen as a covert. Set back next to a great lake in the highlands of northern Scotland, it was chilly, damp and utterly alone. The nearest town, Hogsmeade, was half a day's ride by horseback, though that was admittedly cut down to perhaps an hour's flight on dragonback. Something they were currently doing, and Sirius was trying extremely hard not to think about. The ground felt extremely far away. Are we there yet? Padfoot asked squirming against the makeshift rope leash they had created to tie him securely to Prong's leather harness. Are you certain this is where we must live, and not on the ship where it was warm? It is so cold here, Sirius. Too bloody right it is. Sirius grumbled with a glare at Potter, wrapping his traveling cloak more firmly around his torso. He leaned against Padfoot's chest and took meager comfort in the warmth that bloomed from the dragon's body. In the weeks since his hatching, Padfoot had grown at an exponential rate. Sirius had been startled awake one morning by the funny sensation of being slowly compressed to death, only to realize that the little dragon, who had been sleeping on his chest, had gained at least five stone overnight. Soon after, Sirius could no longer pick him up, as he was now the size of a rather large horse. Soon after that, he had stretched another several feet in all directions, and easily weighed at least seven or eight tons. Still, that was nothing on Prong's twenty-ton mass, and the older dragon had quite amiably flown with all three of them on his back all the way from the ports of London to Scotland. Sirius and Potter were also strapped in, 
rope tied to chest straps on one end and metal carabiners on the other, attached to Prong's harness in a way that still allowed them a few feet of movement, while hopefully preventing them falling to their deaths. You'll get used to it, Sirius, Potter called back cheerfully, his own nose red from the chill. Soon you will be out in blizzards with the best of us. You are really quite dreadful at being comforting, James. Sirius moaned, tucking his frozen fingers into his armpits for warmth. Padfoot snuggled deeper into his side. Do you think? He began with uncharacteristic hesitancy. Um, never mind. Sirius blinked. Though they had not yet spent a month in each other's acquaintance, he had already learned that Padfoot's boundless enthusiasm rarely allowed for second thoughts. It had gotten him into plenty of trouble aboard ship, though Sirius could not bring himself to fully reprimand anyone who was so happy. What is it, Padfoot? Do you think the other dragons will like me? Padfoot whispered. Only, I have not met any other dragons aside from Prongs, and I do not know if he likes me very much. Well, that might be because you kept biting his tail, darling. I only did a little. Padfoot looked rather guilty. I was hungry and he kept getting all the good tuna before me. That had been a James Potter rule. Apparently, larger dragons were extremely territorial about their food, and letting a baby dragon eat before them would have been most insulting. Sirius, who found this uncomfortably close to the stifling aristocratic hogwash that had led to him running away, could only consider this another strike against the aerial corps. Hello there, Potter's booming voice cut into his thoughts. The aviator stood on Prong's back, a large speaking trumpet to his lips. Below, a large greystone covert loomed. From the air, Sirius could see it divided into several large courtyards, each resplendent with dragons in various states of repose. Around the courtyards were stone buildings of various sizes. One of the tallest, a watchtower, had a frantically waving young ensign with messy black hair and round glasses, various colored flags in his hands. Land in the second courtyard, prongs. Potter boomed again. They swooped past the watchtower as the young boy hollered hellos at them, setting off a great cry below. Padfoot pressed even closer against him. They will like you, Padfoot, Sirius said firmly, remembering the initial question. They spent a great deal of trouble getting you here, and besides, you are the very best baby dragon of my acquaintance. I am the only baby dragon of your acquaintance, Sirius. Padfoot headbutted him, but his spirits did seem to be brightened. They will like you, Sirius repeated firmly, scratching the large black head. Whether they'll like me, on the other hand, that will be a harder sell, he mumbled to himself as they finally landed. A small crowd of other aviators had gathered nearby, clearly ready to welcome home their wayward heroes. A great murmur arose as they caught sight of Sirius and Padfoot, strapped insecurely to Prong's back. You're back, you're back. The young boy, who looked rather like a miniature of James close up, hurtled through the bystanders and threw himself into James's arms as the captain disembarked. Baba, did you see me? Did you see me with the flags? Ma'am, let me do it. I'm a real flag ensign now. Well done, Harry. Potter cheered, squeezing Harry enthusiastically around the shoulders with a warmth Sirius found completely foreign from his own experience with paternal relations. A finer ensign the call will never know, I'm sure. And you've grown half a foot since I last saw you. Who is this strapping young man? Can this truly be my son? Barbara. Harry groaned, 
wriggling out of their embrace with a slight flush on his brown skin. He looked up and his green eyes widened as he made eye contact with Sirius. Baba, did you know there's a man on proms, with another dragon? A man? Potter turned and jumped theatrically, while Sirius shot him a glare. Great Scott, you're right, Harry. How did he get there? I wonder. He was promised a warm bed and a stiff drink, which you have yet to deliver. Sirius called back Riley. Do get me out of this harness, James. I have no idea how you did it and I cannot feel my backside anymore at this point. Harry, who had been gazing up at them with undisguised curiosity, let out a startled giggle and then swung himself up onto the harness with practiced ease. Is that a flamdegua? He looked at Padfoot curiously, who pressed into Sirius a little more firmly, uncharacteristically shy. I've never seen one before. Is he yours? Are you French? Are you Barba's prisoner? We are not prisoners, Padfoot piped up indignantly. We are new recruits. He stretched his neck a little and sniffed the top of Harry's head, to the boy's clear delight. You are very small, he observed. Are you recently out of your shell too? I have been out of mine for a while now, and it is very pleasant, is it not? Yes, Harry replied completely unfazed by the odd line of questioning. I am ten, so I have been alive much longer than you, but humans do not grow as fast, you know. Oh, that is a shame, Padfoot said sympathetically. But you are sired by James Potter, so perhaps you will not get very big anyways. Oi! Potter looked up from where he had been consulting with three other aviators below them in low, urgent tones. I heard that, Padfoot. I am a perfectly respectable size, you know. Yes, but you are smaller than Sirius, Padfoot said decisively. And he is the best human. Thank you, darling, Sirius laughed. He looked up at the small boy sitting in front of them. Captain Sirius Black, how do you do? Oh, Harry Potter, pleased to meet you, Captain Black, the boy replied, and shook his hand enthusiastically. So you are not our prisoners, he added with a slight air of disappointment. Well, at present I suppose we are, rather, considering I have no idea how to unfasten myself from this dragon harness. I don't suppose you know how to get us out of this rig. I'll help you, Harry said eagerly, working to unfasten Sirius from his perch. I know how to do it, ma'am taught me. She also taught you not to talk to strangers, but clearly that did not stick. A clear voice with a northern twang rang out from below them and Sirius blinked with great surprise as he saw one of the aviators who had been conversing with Potter was not, as he had assumed from the officer uniform at first glance, a man. Harry finally unbuckled him and he slid to the ground, too shocked to land with any great amount of grace. Good God, James, he said, staring at the red-haired, green-eyed aviator in neat trousers and the same vibrant coat as Potter. The Corps. Employs women? And they can speak for themselves, and everything. What is the world coming to, I know? The woman said cheerfully, holding out a pale, freckled hand. She was short and curvy, with a pretty, round face, wide hips and wind-chapped cheeks. Captain Lily Evans, of Catherine, at your service. Call me Lily. Captain Sirius Black, of the Ma, um, of Padfoot. Sirius stumbled a little over the introduction the new designation still foreign on his tongue. I did not mean to offend, only, only I had no idea. I thought only men were allowed to enlist in the British service. And Britain would be all the poorer for it, 
Potter declared with his customary enthusiasm, throwing an arm around Evans's shoulder with great familiarity. Looking around, Sirius could see there were in fact several women wandering around the covert. They wore the same dress uniform as the men, and their hair was tied back in queues or in tight buns. Had one not been looking for it, he could easily see how they might go unnoticed, considering women in trousers would have been unthinkable to most of London society, not to mention illegal. It is a shock to most, she shrugged when he expressed this opinion aloud. And one of Britain's greatest secrets, for it would not do for the outside world to know that our women were involved in fighting. Perish the thought that we be anything but delicate flowers. Ah, but you are my lily flower. Do shut up, Potter, she said elbowing him in the ribs, before squinting up at where Harry had finally unfastened the last buckle of Padfoot's harness. He had clambered onto the dragon's back and was encouraging him to flap his wings and fly off of prongs instead of climbing down. Harry Evans Potter, get off at once. You're his. So. Sirius looked from Potter to Evans, feeling utterly at sea. He did not wish to accuse Potter of begetting a child out of wedlock and then refusing to save a lady's reputation. It did not seem at all in character for the man, in the month they had known each other. Yet, her introduction had him more confused than ever. Forgive me my indelicacy, but are you not Lily Potter then? Good heavens, no. Evans rolled her eyes as Potter gave an exaggerated sigh. Not for want of asking, I assure you, for any man would be so lucky to have such a wife. It would be entirely impractical, she said firmly. You see, Sirius, may I call you Sirius? In the Corps, our first and foremost duty is to the dragons. I must be captain to my darling Catherine over there, and how could I promise to laugh and obey our dear James here, if we were in battle? I might have to overrule him entirely, and being his wife would only muddy the chain of command. No, you shall have to be satisfied with a lover and not a wife, James. She finished with a stern look at the man, who raised his hands in happy surrender. But this is incredible, Sirius exclaimed, still wrapping his head around the notion of women serving in the corps. He was well aware that women were capable of far more than society would have one believe. As a child, his governess had often been begged to read once more of the notorious and Bonnie in his secret, favorite book, A General History of the Pirates. However, pirates operated well outside the law. He could not fathom the crown acquiescing to putting women on their payroll. They would not if they could avoid it. The third aviator of the group, a tall black woman with dark hair scraped back into a regulation bun, remarked dryly, when he said as much out loud. Captain Dorcas Meadows, of Nimbus, at your service. She gestured to where a graceful orange and blue creature lay sunning itself in the early morning light. Long wings, beautiful, aren't they? Britain's only acid spitters, extremely valuable in battle. And, unfortunately for the stuffy old men of Parliament, they will only accept women as captains. So, here we are, the most jealously kept secret of the service. I do hope that won't be a problem for you. At your service, Captain Meadows. Sirius bowed low at once, determined not to make a further hash of his first impression. I am delighted to serve with you and Captain Evans. Please do not mistake my surprise for reluctance. I assure you there is none. Hark at that aristocratic accent. He's got prettier manners than most of the new recruits, at least. Meadows smirked, dark eyes much warmer now. Bravo, Potter, you do have a knack for finding the interesting ones. Potter beamed and slugged his shoulder. 
I knew you'd fit right in, Sirius Black. Sirius wandered the courtyards of the covert alone as the chill dawn gave way to a thawed afternoon. Potter had dragged him straight to the Admiral's office, an elderly gentleman by the name of Dumbledore, whose own even more elderly dragon fox, a beautiful red and gold specimen, was currently busy drilling the other dragons in formation flying. Dumbledore had spent an hour in what seemed like innocent, rambling conversation over milky tea only for Sirius to realize by the end that the old man had somehow had him spilling everything about his privateer career, his family history, and even his feelings about his own disinheritance. The meeting had closed with Dumbledore stretching out a warm hand and welcoming him to the aerial core, while Sirius slumped back in his chair, exhausted. Now, freshly clothed in his very own green coat, which was entirely too new and stiff, and lacked the sea-salt smell of his old privateer garb, he exited the covert proper and wandered down the hill towards the coppins where the dragons were fed. As he drew near, he heard Padfoot's unmistakable loud and cheery voice. He closed his eyes, basking in the comforting familiarity in a place where everything was utterly foreign. Now, Sirius taught me this trick with locks, so if you just use your talon here, like so, you can lift the latch. Oh lord, Sirius groaned and broke into a run. But that is stealing. A very large, silver dragon, who had introduced himself as Mooney, was sitting with Padfoot, watching with reluctant fascination as Padfoot fumbled with the paddock gate. Mooney was one of the only dragons not currently in training, as his captain was away, and Fox had therefore placed him in charge of showing Padfoot around. As the second-ever dragon of his acquaintance, Padfoot was delighted to learn that not all big dragons were quite so dozy as Prongs, who was still napping and recovering from his long flight, and therefore no fun at all at present. Mooney was very amiable, and had enthusiastically taken him straight away to the most important part of the covert, the place where they could watch their food grazing. Privateers are allowed to steal, the king says so. And we are privateers, or at least Sirius is and I could have been, had I not been needed for the war. Padfoot replied blithely as the latch finally gave way, swinging open the gate. Inside, the cows mooed nervously, watching the two dragons creeping towards them. How do we catch one? Mooney whispered. Have you never hunted before? Padfoot whispered back. No. Aerial core dragons don't hunt. And I bet you have not either, you're still too young to have done much of anything. Padfoot bristled at that. True. He wasn't as large as Mooney yet, but Sirius had told him he was almost larger than an elephant now, whatever that meant, and he was getting bigger every day. It did not seem fair that all the adult dragons kept reminding him that he was smaller than them, as though he could help it. Well, watch and learn, he whispered fiercely, wiggling his tail for balance. He bent down, gathered all the strength in his back legs, and pounced. Sirius blinked as a large herd of cattle, lowing madly, thundered past him. Behind them, two very panicked dragons, one black and one silver, were galloping as fast as they could, trying to snatch up the stragglers with their front claws. Padfoot, he barked. What are you doing? Oh, hello Sirius, Padfoot yelled back as he ran by. Do not worry, we shall get them all back. The dragon picked up one of the smaller cows and flung it ungracefully back towards the pen. It immediately picked itself back up and ran out the gate again in the opposite direction, mooing balefully. Padfoot, 
Everything is under control. Padfoot panted as he waddled past Sirius again in the opposite direction on unsteady hind legs, clutching two highly indignant cows to his chest. What on earth? A new voice echoed Sirius's own thoughts. He turned to find a fellow aviator staring at the chaos unfolding before them. His green coat was shabby and well-worn compared to Sirius's own, tousled, sandy brown hair, wide, amber eyes and wind-chapped cheeks completed a rather picturesque dishevelment. He turned to stare at Sirius sternly, hands on his hips. Is that your dragon terrorizing our herd? Um, if I say yes, am I about to get a new career as cattle herder? Sirius tried for charm, smiling winsomely. The man raised an unimpressed eyebrow, and he sagged glumly. Yes, Captain Sirius Black, of Padfoot, at your sir. Remus, look out. The larger dragon bellowed and then in an instant both aviators had been unceremoniously snatched up in big, silver claws, bodies pressed together tightly. Sirius unconsciously clutched at the man's shoulders in alarm. The sensation was not unlike falling off a ship mast, death only prevented by the rope around one's waist. Sirius's stomach swooped, and he clenched his teeth hard. Below, half the herd trampled past where they had been standing. Mooney, put us down the man called out. He looked sheepishly at Sirius, fair cheeks flushed even redder. From this close distance, Sirius could count individual freckles dotting a long, straight nose. Were he not quite so terrified of falling to his death, Sirius mused wildly. He would be thoroughly enjoying the forced proximity. I'm so sorry, Captain Black. One moment, Mooney. Not until you are safe. Mooney answered stubbornly as he flew towards a distant hill far from the paddock. Mooney, the cows would need to sprout wings themselves to find us here. Now, please put us down. Oh, all right. Mooney finally landed and let them both go, only to immediately nuzzle his large silver snout into the man's back. Yes, yes, I'm quite all right, my dear. He patted Mooney affectionately, before grimacing at Sirius. Remus Lupin, and this is Mooney, I'm terribly sorry, he's a bit overprotective. That's quite all right, Sirius assured him, chuckling a little hysterically. He did just save us both from death by cow so I am inclined to forgive the kidnapping. Sirius, Padfoot wailed from above, where he had been following closely behind. He landed with an undignified thump and immediately scooped Sirius close to his chest. Are you all right? Did a cow hurt you? I will burn any cows who hurt you. I'm fine, Padfoot, Sirius wheezed though I won't be in a moment if you do not let me breathe. Sorry. Padfoot released him, and then, to Sirius's surprise, commenced glaring at Mooney. Despite his smaller size, Padfoot's eyes were so fierce that Mooney shrank back sheepishly, looking away. Sirius is my captain. You are not allowed to fly away with my captain. Come now, what is this jealousy? Sirius put a soothing hand on Padfoot's neck, hoping for a calming effect. Mooney saved me from getting trampled by the herd that you let out of the paddock, you cannot begrudge him for that. Oh. Padfoot's talons flexed and furrowed against the soft grass beneath their feet. I, I suppose. Only. He ducked his head guiltily and mumbled. Only you are still my captain, right? And you do not wish to be his? Even if I let all the cows get loose. I have a captain. Mooney interjected, looking hurt. And I would not steal another dragon's human. That would be very rude. 
Sirius sighed and scratched Padfoot's head. He had spent all day feeling sorry for himself, for being enlisted in the Corps, for having to give up the sea, for being in an unfamiliar place with barely a friend in sight. He had not realized Padfoot was likely experiencing the same disorientation. This was the longest period of time they had spent apart since his hatching, after all. No, darling, he said softly. I do not want to be Mooney's captain, or any other dragons but yours. My word, remember? I remember. Padfoot leaned into the scratch, relaxing. I just wanted to. Check. Lupin, who had been watching the exchange with softening eyes, chuckled. You seem to have picked up on the possessive nature of dragons rather quickly, for a seafaring man, Captain Black. Good answer. You know of me? Sirius asked, looking across at where he was sitting on Mooney's outstretched forearm. You were the talk of the covet this morning. He shrugged and then gave a small half-smile. There was a dimple on his left cheek. Sirius's stomach swooped once more, this time for an entirely different reason. James was rhapsodizing about how you are a natural, despite lack of training. Oh, so you must think I'm a king of dragons by this point. Sirius smiled back and Lupin laughed. I see you are indeed familiar with his storytelling. Sirius rolled his eyes. James is greatly exaggerating my prowess. Anyone could have done it. Oh, Lupin said mildly after a short pause. Raising a dragon is easy, is it? Well, it isn't exactly something one must study in Oxford to succeed, Sirius replied dryly. It seems to me that the Corps has quite a lot of unnecessary pomp and circumstance, when really all one needs is a willing dragon, a little patience, and perhaps a gun or two to fight off the French. For God's sake, they want us to learn to fly in formations. As though we were geese. Do you disagree with the Admiral's methods? I simply do not see why we must pretend the Corps is a regular branch of the service, with all the stuffy uniforms and yes-sirs and no-sirs that go with it. Sirius was on a roll now, pacing as the pent-up frustrations of the past month caught up to him in a great, heady rush. The scratchy, stiff uniform itched at his neck with every step, an uncomfortable reminder of the days when he was expected to wear starched collars and be heir to the Grimald estate. For heaven's sake, Part of the reason I joined was because James promised it was different from the rest of society, and yes, I suppose, having women serve is rather libertine. But at the end of the day, it would take a great idiot to not succeed in battle when they had a fire-breathing dragon on their side. All this extra stuff and nonsense is just as play-acting at respectability, when being an aviator captain is frankly about as far from respectable as one can get, in London's eyes. Why bother trying? Sirius finally took a breath and locked eyes with Lupin once more. The man's eyes were wide, and for a moment Sirius saw what looked like true, stricken hurt before they blinked and all emotion was wiped clean from his face. Oh. Oh damn. I. I beg your pardon, I didn't mean to. He began awkwardly. You are most certainly entitled to your opinion, sir, Lupin replied. His tone was deliberate and expressionless a stark contrast to the open friendliness of the minute prior. I have been a part of the service myself since I was nine, so perhaps you'll forgive me if I have a slightly brighter view of the core overall, meaningless as you might think my work is. Look, Lupin, I was only trying to say. That you think you can make a fully trained aviator in a day when the rest of us take years. That being a dragon captain is beneath you, that you are here under duress, that you know better than the whole damn aviator corps. Lupin snapped, 
blank face finally giving way to anger. Stop putting words in my mouth, that is not at all what I was trying to convey. Sirius protested. Then I pity whatever point you were trying to make, for being so obscured by the arrogance of your delivery. Now see here, Lupin. Sirius started, but Lupin stepped back and took a deep breath. If you will excuse us, he said coolly. He swung himself up onto the silver dragon's back by the harness with ease. Mooney's captain will be wondering where we are. He is due to return today. Sirius blinked. Mooney's captain? Aunt. You Mooney's captain? If anything, this line of questioning only made Lupin shut down more. No, that privilege is not mine, he said stiffly. I am first lieutenant, serving under Captain Fenrir Greyback. Good day, Captain Black. He gave Mooney's neck a pat, and great silver wings stretched wide at once, carrying them away. Sirius slumped back down against Padfoot's hide, weary and discouraged. One day in, and he had already made an enemy with his impulsive ranting, and what's worse, an enemy who had almost seemed like he could have been a friend. His dragon had set free the covert's entire supply of food. His green coat was stiff and itchy. He longed, with a sudden fierce ache, for the open sea, and the marauder, and Shacklebolt's reassuring advice. The sea was where he had grown into Captain Sirius Black, confident and carefree. How could he have thought he could survive again on land? That is a very nice coat, Sirius, Padfoot said, nuzzling into him with great affection. I am sorry again about the cows. Ah, yes. That was why. Sirius's heart warmed, and he smiled as he resumed scratching Padfoot. The dragon who had chosen him, against all odds, to be his companion. Being chosen unconditionally, simply for who he was and not what he might do for others, was still a feeling he was unfamiliar with, but he was determined not to let Padfoot down. We'll show them, he murmured. We'll be the best damn aviators they've ever seen, won't we? Of course, Padfoot said confidently. I am sure formation flying cannot be very hard. We will be brilliant. Chapter 2 In which Sirius Black makes a friend Black, Padfoot, you're out of formation again. Captain Meadows' reprimand through her large speaking trumpet echoed through the highland hills. Sirius winced blearily. He had not been paying close attention, too preoccupied with how bloody freezing and bloody early it was. The weak Scottish sun had barely pierced through low-hanging clouds as he stumbled out of bed, hastily shrugged on his uniform and clipped onto Padfoot's harness. The other dragons had been chatting amongst themselves, yawns echoing throughout the courtyard not unlike the sound of lions roaring, and Potter had clapped him on the back bracingly, mug of hot coffee in hand, before wandering off to wake up, Prongs who was snoring loudly with steam gushing from his back with each breath. Every day for the past six weeks had been the same, without a pause even on Sundays for rest. Sirius staggered out of bed as the sun rose and did not return until it had long since set. Some days he did not even manage to pull off his boots before he collapsed back into sleep. Though the captain's quarters were generous in size compared to a ship's, and Sirius's on the fourth floor had a beautiful view of both the courtyards and rolling Scottish countryside, he had barely spent more than six or seven hours at a time there, mostly passed out from exhaustion. He now indeed saw that they had pulled far ahead of the rest of the formation 
leaving a gap in the diamond shape they were meant to be practicing. Too fast, Padfoot. Full back. He called out, and the dragon slowed down again with an audible groan of frustration, allowing the others to catch up. Meadows and Nimbus first, the most experienced of the group, followed closely behind by Evans and Catherine, the long wings mimicking each other's movements with ease. Potter and Prongs were bringing up the rear, which left. Slow down your wing beats to match mine, it will help, Mooney said to Padfoot, as he slotted back into place beside him. Padfoot huffed a small flame at him in response. Black, control your beast, Captain Greyback roared, and Sirius took several deep breaths, reminding himself that it would do no good to start another argument with the odious man this early in the morning, with a full day of flying together ahead of them. Again. The first time he met Greyback had been their first day of training. Sirius had arrived early, determined to make good on his and Padfoot's vow to excel. The misty courtyard was still quiet, a few officers strolling towards their dragons at their leisure, or chatting amiably over coffee. Lupin, who had avoided Sirius thoroughly in the officers' mess hall the night before, was laughing with a small ensign who looked around Harry's age, with shaggy brown hair and a freckled, heart-shaped face. Just as Sirius was considering whether or not it would be worth approaching them to make amends and start the relationship anew, there was a great bellow of Lupin, and a large, swarthy man thundered past him. Lupin had jumped and immediately pushed the ensign behind him, who instantly made himself scarce. Yes, sir. What do you call this? Greyback snarled, holding up a crumpled sheet of paper. Lupin swallowed once and said nothing. Because I call it insubordination, Lieutenant. A harness redesign for Mooney. I commissioned his harness myself, Lupin. He mentioned it was chafing now that he has reached his full weight, sir. Greyback rolled his dark eyes. A dragon must be used to discomfort. If he is chafing now, it will harden to scarring eventually, and he will be better for it. You. Lupin looked angry for a moment, then took a deep breath, voice deliberate and calm. I worry, sir, that the pain will distract him from flying his best. You spoil him, Lupin. Greyback interrupted impatiently. I have no use for a spoiled dragon, and no use for anyone who will make him that way. Do you want me to separate the two of you? Send you back to that damn workhouse I plucked you out of, out of the goodness of my heart. Lupin looked down at the ground, and Sirius felt a tug of sympathy. No, sir. Then you will do well to remember that I am the captain, and you will make no further adjustments to harnesses, or anything else, without my permission. Do you hear me? Greyback was yelling now, spill flying, and Sirius had had enough. I do believe the whole covert, if not the whole of Scotland can hear you, Captain, he said, stepping forward. Lupin's head shot up, staring at him. Sirius gave him a small wink, before continuing. However, I wonder if you have not already made your point, and might therefore spare our ears this delightful ranting so early in the morning? Who the hell are you? Greyback growled. Sirius knew he was a tall man, but next to Greyback, who was truly massive, he felt suddenly rather small. The man loomed, jaundiced skin and sharp, dark eyes seeping malice from every pore. Still, Sirius had not been trained from birth in social warfare by Lady Walburga Black for naught, much as he might like to forget the majority of her lessons. He threw back his broad shoulders, head held high. Captain Sirius Black, of Padfoot, at your service. Recently arrived. I take it that you are Captain Greyback, of Mooney? Delightful dragon, 
I had the pleasure of making his acquaintance just yesterday. The silver iron wing? Yes. Just stunning. Greyback stared at him, clearly baffled as to how to proceed. And Lieutenant Lupin, of course. You have put together an excellent crew, I must congratulate you. Sirius smiled sharply and stuck out his hand to shake. This seemed to awaken the other man from his confusion, and he swatted the hand away. You have no right to interfere with how I discipline my crew, Black. He snarled. You are new, you know nothing. Discipline, is it? Making a scene in the courtyard like this? Sirius replied, dropping the smile and the hand simultaneously. Stay out of my way. Greyback spat and shouldered his way past him. Sirius shook his head and turned to Lupin, meaning to commiserate over his rotten luck, stuck with such a loathsome captain. Is he always like that? Stay out of it. Lupin snapped, and Sirius blinked in surprise. You do me no favors by interfering. I beg pardon, I just stopped him from screaming at you in the courtyard, and you are upset with me? I was handling it. You've only upset him more. Now the whole day shall be a demonstration of his discipline methods. Lupin said in frustration, and gestured over to where Greyback was berating Mooney over complaining about his harness, voice deliberately raised. The dragon had shrunk back, head hanging low and miserable. I did not mean to. Yes, you did not mean to, you did not mean to, that seems to be your favorite phrase, Captain Black. Fine, Sirius said stiffly, fed up with feeling wrong-footed around Lupin, and around the whole damned situation. Fine. Next time, I shall let him bully you as he pleases. With that, he turned heel and marched away. Unfortunately, Sirius didn't even have the satisfaction of seeing himself proved justified. The following weeks showed that Lupin's prediction was entirely accurate. Greyback was snarly and unpleasant to work with, and Lupin, who only spoke to him if it was to correct something he had done wrong in training, was scarcely better. The man seemed determined to prove that to be an aviator was rigorous work, too rigorous for Sirius to handle. Every muted eye roll stung, particularly because Lupin was always annoyingly accurate with his criticism. Greyback would gladly rail loudly and noxiously against anyone who so much as looked at him the wrong way. This led most aviators to give him a wide berth, and it allowed Sirius to easily brush off any vitriol thrown his way. Lupin's deliberately mild corrections, however, were irritating in their validity. Sirius did have Padfoot flying too fast. Padfoot was listing too much to the left during their second diamond formation pass. They were indeed meant to let the ground master, Frank Longbottom, test the harness to ensure it lay well before Sirius went aboard, for safety. No matter what Sirius did, it only seemed to harden Lupin against him further. When Sirius organized a bout of whist with the other officers, Lupin turned away, mumbling about how not everyone had coin to gamble away frivolously. When he tried some friendly conversation over dinner, remarking that Lupin's correction about Padfoot's flight patterns had been very helpful, he got nothing more than a closed-off, polite flicker of eye contact and a cool nod. Sirius Black was no longer accustomed to such pointed dislike. It made him feel rather as though he was a child again the too loud and too energetic wayward heir to the House of Black. It was all the more rankling for the fact that the lieutenant was clearly a valued and popular member of the Corps. Sirius saw him everywhere. There was Lupin, eating in the officer's mess hall at rapid speed and speaking just as quickly, 
long arms flailing animatedly as he talked aerial tactics with his fellow lieutenants. Later, when Sirius went to say goodnight to Padfoot, there was Lupin scratching Mooney's head and humming Welsh lullabies as he sat on the silver dragon's foreleg. A moment later, it seemed, Sirius found Lupin tutoring with great patience as Harry and Teddy, the shaggy-haired young ensign assigned to Mooney, stumbled over the schoolwork they had neglected in favor of their other duties that day. Perhaps most galling of all was the small, private half-smile he let loose when someone said something that truly delighted him. For all its restraint, the warmth was palpable, and Sirius was not a man used to being left out in the cold. Were it not for the other aviators in their formation, Sirius might have given up on the corps altogether and taken Padfoot back with him to see, war be damned. Thankfully, the others were a boisterous, friendly lot, and more than willing to welcome an errant seafaring captain and overly enthusiastic young dragon into their midst. Potter and Evans's flirtatious bickering nightly over dinner was welcome entertainment, as was Captain Meadows' quiet but keen wit, balanced perfectly against her first lieutenant Marlene McKinnon's louder joviality. Most welcome of all, however, had been his introduction to his own first lieutenant, Nymphadora Tonks. She had knocked smartly on his door unreasonably early one morning, soon after Padfoot had successfully passed his first round of training, spiffily dressed in a waistcoat, rolled-up sleeves, and workman's trousers. While most women in the corps wore their long hair in a tight bun or braid, she had cut hers short and neat close to her ears. A pale, heart-shaped face beamed up at him when he finally opened the door. Morning, Captain Black. Aye, hello. Sirius rasped, squinting at her. Have we met? Not formally, she said. But I have heard a great deal about you, and I'm hoping I could talk to you about who you are going to choose for your crew, now that Padfoot is ready for combat. Oh. Sirius closed his weary eyes. He should have expected as much. Potter had warned him that chances for promotion in the Corps were rare, seeing as there were a very limited number of dragons compared to the number of people available to crew them. Well, I'm sure you are very capable, but I must say I don't normally make decisions before coffee, and seeing as the mess hall won't be open for another hoe. I brought coffee. She reassured him brightly and thrust forward a full mug. Unfortunately, Sirius's eyes were still closed, so he didn't jump out of the way in time. He yelped as the hot liquid sloshed over the side and down his nightshirt. Bugger! She swore, stepping back. I am very sorry about that, sir. Here, let me... No, no, Sirius said with alarm as she whipped out a handkerchief and spat into it, clearly intending to wipe him down. No, really, it's just a little stain, I'll get it right off. She lunged forward and banged her elbow into the door frame. The sodden handkerchief, thankfully, dropped to the ground as she swore loudly, clutching her arm. It's fine, I'll just, um, put it in the wash. Goodbye, um, Sirius said hastily, beginning to shut the door. Oh, I've buggered this all up. She groaned dismally, throwing her hands in the air. Tonks, Nymphadora Tonks, I am a relation of yours through your cousin. My mother is Andromeda, Andromeda Black. Andromeda? Sirius blinked, suddenly wide awake. Good heavens, I haven't heard from Andromeda in years, since she was disowned. So you're her daughter? With that aviator? Ted Tonks, was it? The Black family disgrace, front and center. Tonks said proudly. Sirius snorted. I hate to disappoint, but I was repeatedly assured that title was mine. 
Oh, well. Tonks had somehow made it into Sirius's room now, and was making herself at home on one of the two wooden chairs by the small windowside table. I suppose I can share. I shall take the title on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and you may have it the rest of the week, as you are the captain. As you can see, I will make a very conscientious first lieutenant. Confident, too. Sirius's mouth twitched, much as he tried to maintain a stern expression. This was, after all, rather similar to how he had talked his way onto his first ship, with nothing but a rakish attitude to recommend him. Captains like Greyback might want fear and deferential attitudes amongst their crews, but Sirius had always preferred a right hand with a mind of their own. Her sharp eyes took note, and she grinned. Very. The familiar attitude was in full swing as she sat down beside him at dinner one night, a few months later. You know, Captain, I never took you for an incurious man, but I am beginning to wonder. She said abruptly, pointed elbow knocking into his water glass. Sirius, used at this point to the hurricane that was Tonks, snatched it out of harm's way. Tonks! McKinnon had followed, long blonde hair falling loose from her braid after their long day of training. That's cheating. It is not cheating. Tonks protested. I am making conversation. It is. McKinnon grumbled as Sirius looked between them blankly. I appear to have missed a step in this discussion. Oh bloody hell, are you goading him into asking the question? Meadows groaned. What question? Sirius asked. What, what is, is a lady, lady such, such as yourself doing, doing in the aerial, aerial corps? Tonks and McKinnon recited in tandem. Well, it's been six months. Tonks huffed. It has never taken anyone else this long, and I'm running out of money for the pool. You're betting on when I ask why you enlisted? Sirius laughed. Is it so common an occurrence? Well, not with officers like Remus, who grew up in the Corps, Tonks said, raising her voice fondly as Lupin passed by their table. He took one look at Sirius and eschewed the obvious invitation to join the conversation, nodding at her politely instead before continuing on to sit with Potter, further down. Sirius tried to push away the now familiar sting of rejection and focus on Tonks. But most other men will end up asking soon after they join, expecting a mighty sob story. We've got it down to a sentence each at this point. I admit I have been so afraid of. Offending anyone else, I haven't dared. Sirius mumbled, eyes straying of their own accord to tousled light curls as Lupin smiled warmly at Potter, beginning their own conversation. Tonks rolled her eyes. Remus is being ridiculous with this grudge, and I've told him so. Tonks. Well he is. You are not an overly privileged aristocrat, and you do respect the corps. Yes, but you are my first lieutenant. He will think I put you up to it. Sirius groaned. He rubbed his eyes and then pointed his fork at her. Just for that, now I demand to hear your sob story. Father's an aviator, it was in my blood. No sob story here. Your turn, Marlene. You still cheated, and the betting pool is off. McKinnon grumbled. Fourth daughter and my parents didn't have any money for a dowry. Thank heavens for small mercies. Dorcas. Meadows shook her head, amused. I was set to wed a terribly odious man, so I cut my hair, changed my name to William and joined the Navy. Once they discovered I was a woman, they offered me a job here instead. Sirius nudged her. Knew I liked you, Meadows. Only the best sort of people run away to sea. Butter me up all you wish, Black, I am still making you wake up at six tomorrow for training. Mercy, I beg of you. 
Sirius's forehead hit the table with a loud thunk. If I train any earlier, I may as well not sleep at all. Further down, he heard a small scoff and winced internally before sitting back up. Bloody Lupin. The man's poor opinion of Sirius was his own issue at this point. If he could not take a simple joke, Sirius didn't need his approval anyways. He didn't. He didn't. You should not take to heart what Catherine and Nimbus say. Mooney sat down with a great thump next to where Padfoot had been sulking outside the covert. In the moonlight, his silver scales glistened and shimmered, throwing pinpricks of light onto the mossy stone walls behind them. I thought you did very well today. No, I didn't, Padfoot said dismally. I went too fast, and then Nimbus said it was because Sirius does not know how to control my speed yet, and now everyone thinks he is a bad captain. He's not a bad captain. I know that, Mooney said gently. He is very kind to you, and he always visits you in the evenings. And he never, ever yells at you. Those are signs of a very good captain, even if he is still learning. There was a note of faint wistfulness underpinning his words, and Padfoot suddenly remembered Captain Greyback, and how he had snapped and snarled at Mooney for scuffing his harness just that afternoon. Padfoot cringed a little, sitting there feeling sorry for himself when other dragons had it so much worse. After all, Mooney didn't have serious. Thank you. Your captain is also. Well, he is just. Is? He trailed off not sure how to compliment a man that Sirius had just that evening called an adulpated chaperone as they sat together. It is all right. Mooney scratched his ear, saving Padfoot from his own twisted-up brain. I have Remus, and Remus is the best. Yes. Padfoot seized on this with relief. Remus is wonderful. He brought me that ointment for my scale rot, and he um. He? A sudden pang of loyalty struck him. Remus is not very nice to Sirius though, Mooney. I don't think he likes him at all. Oh. Mooney shifted a little uncomfortably. Um, well. Why does he dislike Sirius? Well, it is only that he thinks Sirius does not like the core or take the training seriously. Mooney shrugged. Padfoot blinked, affronted. That is not true at all. Sirius is trying very, very hard. I know that. Mooney said hastily, shrinking back. I didn't mean to insult Sirius. Only say that Remus does not see it, because they do not spend time together, that is all. Padford blinked. Mooney was no fun to fight with, really, for he gave in immediately, despite his larger size. It made Padfoot feel rather guilty. Perhaps we should make them spend time together, then, he said thoughtfully. How? Hum. Padfoot thought again of Sirius's kind words that evening. Do not feel badly just because you are the fastest dragon in the covert, darling, and perked up. I have an idea. But where are you taking me, Padfoot? Training does not start for another hour. I was rather hoping for a bit of a lion, you know. I know, I know, only this is very important, Sirius. It is an emergency. Sirius gave Padfoot a suspicious look. Last week, you told me it was an emergency when Prongs took the last of the usual cattle and you were stuck with a highland cow for supper. Well, Padfoot shifted guiltily. That was very important at the time. Have you ever tried to eat a highland cow? They are most unpleasantly hairy. Harry had to pick red fur out of my teeth for an hour. Sirius looked at his fussy, impulsive dragon with inordinate fondness. 
How he had ever found such a being daunting or intimidating in the slightest was beyond the imagination. He said nothing, but patted Padfoot's flank as they continued up the hill towards the great lock in the distance. Before them, the sun was barely risen, and the frosted grass beneath their feet had a satisfying crunch. Though he still missed the ship, Sirius found the sharp homesickness for the sea had at some point diminished to a dull, occasional ache. After all, he thought as Padfoot sniffed the fresh Scottish air, flicking his tongue out to catch scents no human could catch, the marauder had never loved him back as his Padfoot did. Lost in his musings, Sirius did not realize they had company until he had almost stumbled over Lupin, who was rounding the corner of the nearest foothill. As it was, he had clearly startled the man. Lupin staggered backwards in alarm, and Sirius reached for him instinctually, catching his arm and tugging him close before he could fall to the ground. They stood close in mutual bewilderment, too close, until a warm puff of air blew in Sirius's face as Lupin huffed out awkwardly, and he hastily dropped the man's arm. I beg pardon, he fumbled. I did not expect anyone else to be out here so early. Padfoot wanted, he said there was something important out here I must see. Nor I, Captain, said Lupin mildly, brushing off his coat's arm with his usual carefully blank expression. Clearly what was of import was that I make an utter fool of myself in front of you at this ungodly hour. Again. Oh. Lupin's lips twitched briefly, and he met Sirius's gaze for what felt like the first time in weeks. Not at all. Mooney insisted we take a constitutional around the lake. He hesitated, clearly warring with returning to his regular chilly streak towards Sirius, or continuing this temporary thaw in relations. He eventually shrugged and his lips twitched again. The latter then? Apparently I have been looking pale and peaky. Sirius let loose a cautious smile of his own. I cannot imagine why, considering we get a whole fifteen minutes of sunshine a day up here in Scotland. Why, if the world knew of our generous bounty, they would soon trade the beaches of Spain for Hogwarts. Lupin actually laughed briefly, before his mouth snapped shut, as if he himself had not expected it. He flushed and turned, hands on his hips, to face Mooney, who had a vaguely guilty air about him. Mooney, my dear, he said briskly, is it possible that you and Padfoot arranged for us four to be out here together, at this early hour, for reasons known only to yourselves? We're having a race. Padfoot burst out, too excited to wait any longer. It was Moonis' idea, because I am too fast in training, so we have to work out my energy beforehand, and... A race at this hour of the morning? Sirius groaned. Padfoot, I've had very little sleep, and you wish for me to endure the chill of flying before James's coffee? Oh, I don't know, Lupin said unexpectedly from behind them. He was smirking, just a little. A race could be fun. Aye, fun. Sirius protested, then stopped himself. This was by far the most agreeable Lupin had been in months. If there was the slightest chance he could persuade the man that he was not in fact the devil himself by participating, he really ought to seize it. All right, he said. And for the winner, a prize of the loser's choosing? Must everything be a wager, Black? Only fun things, Lupin. Sirius grinned, getting into the spirit of the endeavor. Please, let us win, Mooney. Lupin grumbled as he swung himself up onto the dragon's harness. I do not think I could bear having to come up with a prize for the captain. To that cliffside a hundred wingbeats from the mountain? Mooney asked Padfoot, 
shaking out his own formidable wings as they crouched low. Yes, Padfoot was practically vibrating under Sirius's hands, he was so excited. Three, two, one, go. Sirius's still sleepy stomach lurched unpleasantly as the dragons threw themselves into the air with little grace, opting instead for maximum speed. Grimly he ducked his head, determined to be as aerodynamic as possible. The air bit at his cheeks as they left the covert behind, shooting straight into the early morning mist. Lupin bloody well better like me after this, he grumbled, allowing the words to be lost to the slipstream behind them. He could not see a thing in the clouds, but trusted Padfoot to keep them from crashing into the side of the mountain. Just as his coat was getting soaked through to the point where he thought he may as well not be wearing one, the clouds cleared, and the craggy cliffside loomed before them. Padfoot said in great disappointment as they rounded the cliffside, only to find Lupin and Mooney already sitting casually on the rocks down below. I did not think we were behind by that much. Nor were we, darling. Sirius reassured him, stroking the black scales of his neck as they landed. They barely beat us. Only look at how heavy Moonis breathing is, and Lupin's cheeks are still red from the wind, rogues and liars, the both of them. He raised his voice at the end and heard Lupin snicker as he unclipped himself from Padfoot's harness, dismounting clumsily. He straightened up quickly, strolling over to where Lupin sat, lanky limbs sprawled on the grass. A heavy accusation, sir. Does Scotland Yard know what a skilled detective they're missing out on? Lupin asked as he grinned up at Sirius. How do you know my skin isn't just chapped all the time? Most are, you know, in the core. Occupational hazard of riding dragons in this charming Scottish weather. I am extremely observant, thank you very much. Sirius folded his arms across his chest sternly, though he could feel his mouth crack a smirk. He decided to leave out the part where most of his observations in the past few weeks had been rather specific to the intriguing and ever-changing variations of Lupin's face. Your coat is inside out, Mooney pointed out helpfully, his long silver snout lowering to join the conversation. Lupin burst out laughing as Sirius swore shrugging the coat off and hastily turning it the right way round. That's not his fault, Padfoot protested, before reciting from memory, to Sirius's despair. Sirius Black is not a morning person, which means he shouldn't be expected to follow the god-awful schedule of the Aerial Corps, no matter what bloody Lieutenant Lupin says. Is that so? Lupin mused thoughtfully, and Sirius made a note to have a very long discussion later with Padfoot over what was and was not appropriate to bring up amongst company. Thankfully, Lupin was still grinning. Well, bloody Lieutenant Lupin just emerged the victor in this race. Bloody Lieutenant Lupin and Mooney. Mooney interjected with uncharacteristic indignation. Oh, of course. Lupin agreed hastily. You are utterly in the right. I'd have gotten nowhere without you, my dear. Mooney puffed up a little at this, his large chest swelling proudly. It was serious remark to himself. The complete opposite of how he had grown used to seeing Mooney. Usually he slunk from place to place, hiding in the shadows of the covert walls as much as a massive dragon could, which, in all fairness, was not much. Away from prying eyes, however, or perhaps away from Captain Greyback's constant criticisms, he unfurled like a new leaf in spring. That is only because I am not fully grown yet, and the sun was in my eyes. Padfoot grumbled behind them. Just wait until my wings are bigger. Or maybe we should race at night. Then I would win. 
Don't be sour, darling, Sirius said, turning and patting his soft black nose, although secretly he rather agreed with both of Padfoot's assessments. Come on, we did agree to a prize for the winner, and I'm starving, aren't you? The sooner we get these two their victory spoils, the sooner you can eat. Padfoot perked up immediately. Oh yes, I am sure if I had a full stomach I would be much faster for the next race. After a quick swing by the hut of Mr. Hagrid, the supply master, outside the covert, Sirius emerged victorious, and several coins lighter, leading two large cows, who lowed nervously as they approached the Great Lake. For me, both of them. Mooney's eyes were very wide. He looked back at Remus nervously, as if waiting to be told there had been some mistake. Remus gave him an encouraging nod, and Mooney crept forward, spine undulating like small waves as his body went into attack mode. With a sudden snap of jaws, the first cow was dispatched neatly. Mooney licked his lips, then caught sight of Padfoot watching wistfully. Come on, Padfoot, he called out, voice strengthened with an uncommon confidence. It is a lot of cow for me, come share my victory spoils. Really? Padfoot brightened and bounded over. Sirius smiled as the younger dragon clumsily bumped his jaw into Moonies, eager to partake in his extra breakfast. He sat on the grassy hill above them, watching as they chattered away enthusiastically. Thank you, a quiet voice said in his ear. Sirius turned to see Remus sitting close by, looking past him to where the dragons were eating, a fondness evident in his eyes. Mooney does not often feel so appreciated. This was, this was very kind of you. He has been a good friend to Padfoot. Sirius shrugged, running his hand through his hair self-consciously. Some of the other dragons have found him. A little unruly. A little loud. But Mooney has made him welcome, and I am grateful for that. Lupin flushed, looking down. I am put to shame by my own dragon. He muttered, almost to himself, before looking back up directly at Sirius. His gaze was warm brow furrowed and amber-brown eyes trained on him with a sudden, fierce intensity. Captain Black, I would say something to you, on how matters stand between us. I have been unjust in opinion and behavior both. I, I know I have acted a scrub. It's all right, Lupin. Sirius interrupted awkwardly, pinned by the strength of his stare. Really, there's no need. No, damn it, there is, Lupin said firmly. I must tell you how very sorry I am. You are an excellent captain, and I refused to see it. Out of envy, out of pride, take your pick. You certainly did not mask your feelings. Sirius tried for levity, nudging his shoulder. Lupin grimaced. I have perhaps formed a habit of expecting the worst from superior officers who stroll into their position untrained. Is that what happened with Greyback? Sirius asked, cutting through the politeness to the heart of the matter. Lupin looked away, over the lake. There was a pause, as he watched the dragons and Sirius watched him, taking in the minuscule twitches in an otherwise placid face. He got the impression Lupin was thinking very quickly. Do we trust each other now? Lupin asked finally, with equal bluntness. I trust you, Sirius said after a moment. Even when you were ignoring me, or chastising me, I never found you false. I envied those who had such a steadfast friend in you, in fact. Lupin smiled his small half-smile, the smile Sirius had been chasing after for months on end. I envied your ability to charm everyone else in the covert within minutes. 
Though we both know my envy was a lot uglier than yours. He let out a deep breath. I was eleven when Greyback came to the workhouse. My parents had died years ago, and I'd nowhere else to go. Greyback was a gentleman, he said all the right things about how young boys were needed in the corps, and I was given to him as part of his crew almost immediately. That was when he still had his old dragon, Mulciber. From then on, I was in his care. Sirius could not help the face he made, thinking of a young, orphan boy in Greyback's version of care. Lupin caught sight and nodded grimly. Just so, Greyback's favorite tactic to populate his crew is to find the young, the vulnerable, so he can mold them as he wishes. It was a difficult childhood. But it was not all bad. The core is a wonderful place, aside from the few rotten apples. For the first time in my life, I had friends, good friends. James and Prongs arrived not long after me, and Lily and Marlene both joined at 15. We used to all sit around and talk about how wonderful it would be to be captains someday. Then, a new egg was sent to us from Russia. An iron wing. Sirius glanced over at Mooney, and Remus smiled faintly. Yes, I was twenty, but had already made first lieutenant for Greyback a few years prior, mostly because nobody else wanted the job. Admiral Dumbledore decided to give me my step, and set aside the egg for me to raise as captain. Mooney hatched, and I named him, but only a few days later. Mulciber died in battle. Greyback immediately insisted that Mooney be his, and I returned to his first lieutenant. But that is outrageous. Sirius burst out. He had no right to demote you. By God, man, this is the sort of thing over which duels are fought. There's no dueling in the aviator corps, Lupin said sharply. We cannot risk it. A dragon's captain is the most precious thing in the world to them, and the dragon's happiness and well-being must come before satisfaction for any insult. Well that's just. Lucky for Greyback, Sirius grumbled. Else I might have taken great pleasure in slapping his face with my glove. Lupin snickered, then sobered as Sirius continued. Still, how could there be no recourse for such an insult? The Greyback family is an old aristocratic lineage, linked closely to Lord Riddle, in the House of Lords. He went over Dumbledore's head, said Lupin wearily. I was a young, penniless orphan, with no influence to speak of. Greyback insisted it would be better for everyone if nobody knew I named Mooney, it would only muddy the chain of command. But you are telling me, said Sirius, tilting his head. I owed you an explanation, Lupin sighed. You strolled in, a born aristocrat, captain without even trying, and I just misjudged. I am sore. His eyes widened as Sirius pressed a hand over his mouth. Stop apologizing, Sirius said sternly. I was a bloody fool, and ran my mouth when I shouldn't have. Under his fingers, he felt Lupin's lips curve up into a smile. His skin tingled, just a little. He quickly lowered his hand and stuck it out instead for a shake. Adieu over. Captain Sirius Black, proudly of the Aviator Corps and Padfoot, at your service. First Lieutenant Remus Lupin, of Mooney, at yours. I would be happy to show you around, if you are new to the covert. Lupin said lightly, but his grasp on Sirius's hand was firmly sincere. Excellent. Sirius grinned. I have a feeling we are going to be fast friends. Unnoticed down by the lake, Padfoot and Mooney exchanged excited glances. I told you it would work, Padfoot said triumphantly. 
Nobody who talks to my Sirius can hate him for very long. I knew this was a good plan. Yes, Mooney agreed. You have the best ideas, Padfoot. And training will be so much pleasanter now that they are friends. And with that, the two dragons returned to their meal, content. Training, now that Remus Lupin was Sirius's friend, was torture. Before, he had found himself occasionally losing focus because of the man, hearing his quiet laugh, quick wit, and sharp mind aimed at others, and had thought it was because of the chill emanating between them and his yearning to put things right. Now, however, things were right, and yet the yearning was most inconveniently still present. If anything, it had only gotten worse. Now the quiet laugh, quick wit and sharp mind were often aimed at him, and it was all terribly distracting. Sirius, Sirius. Tonks snapped her fingers in front of where he had been watching Lupin, Harry and Teddy review flag signals across the courtyard. Lupin looked up and caught Sirius's eye. He smiled warmly and raised a hand in silent greeting, before continuing his conversation. Oh, for goodness sakes, Tonks muttered behind him. There was a sudden violent poke in between Sirius's shoulder blades. Sorry, Padfoot, what is it? asked Sirius, blinking as a giant black dragon head pushed at him again. I don't quite know, Padfoot said, puzzled. Tonks told me you needed a nudge. Well, it apparently takes a whole dragon to divert your attention from Remus. Tonks rolled her eyes, poking his arm with blunt nails. If you are quite finished, I was wondering if we might go over your choices for riflemen aboard Padfoot. I personally would favor the Pruitt twins myself, they're both excellent shots, but... Just a moment, I was not. What are you implying? Protested Sirius, catching up. You are an atrocious liar, Black. I am your captain, Tonks. You are an atrocious liar, sir. I don't think Captain Meadows has nearly so much trouble with McKinnon. Sirius grumbled. Tonks smirked a little. No, but we have a very different relationship than Dorcas and Marlene. Just imagine if Remus was your lieutenant, and you'll get the picture. I. Sirius began to splutter then stopped. He looked at Tonks with very narrowed eyes. Tonks, he said carefully. What exactly are you saying? Because... If you are implying anyone might be committing what in this country is considered a crime. Tonks rolled her eyes. Oh, honestly, have you not been in the Corps long enough to understand that the rules do not apply here? Dragons are extremely territorial, and nothing less than high treason would induce the law to venture here and try to cart one of their crew off to prison. Sirius let out a long breath he hadn't realized he was holding. Be that as it may. He continued feeling his way slowly around the edges of the conversation like a man clinging onto a cliff. It doesn't. Apply here. Lupin and I are friends. Tonks shrugged. Remus and I are friends too, and that did not stop us from having Teddy. What? Oh, Captain, do try not to faint. She laughed. Don't fret, it was a long time ago, when we were very young. We weren't lovers, really, though we both wanted Teddy. You know dragons live for hundreds of years, and usually inherit several captains from the same family line. We had hoped Teddy would, well, it doesn't matter. She broke off, looking at Mooney with large, sad eyes. Now that Sirius was looking for it, he could indeed see Tonk's heart-shaped face and the black family's light gray eyes in Teddy, though his light brown hair and freckles were extremely reminiscent of Lupin. He thought of how Lupin consistently pushed Teddy behind him whenever Greyback was near and how invested he was in Teddy's education. 
With all the pieces coming together, Sirius frankly wondered how on earth he had missed the obvious until now. The point is, continued Tonks after a short pause, that you ought not draw lines in the sand in such haste. You and Remus were unfriendly before, and you're friendly now. Who knows what the future may bring? Sirius shook his head. I am not looking for anything else. I have a poor track record with anything further, and as you have observed, his friendship was hard won. I'll not jeopardize it because I've an itch that needs scratching. But... I agree that the Pruitt twins are excellent choices for riflemen. Sirius said firmly, and with that, the subject was closed. At least, to the humans. What did you mean by an itch that needs scratching, earlier today? Padfoot asked as they lay on the hill by the Great Lake that evening. Sirius groaned. He was lying on Padfoot's foreleg, wrapped in his warm cloak and reveling in the heat soaking through his back against the frostbite of the Scottish night. You heard that, did you? He mumbled. I thought you were distracted by Prong sneezing. Did you see how he set fire to James's hair again? Oh yes. Padfoot perked up. That was very funny. Although, wait, Sirius, are you trying to distract me? Why do you not want me to know what itches you? Is it bad? Are you dying? No. No, darling. Sirius sat up before Padfoot could work himself into a panic. Even now, almost a year into their companionship, Padfoot seemed to worry that Sirius might disappear on him. I'm not dying. I just... He buried his heated face in his hands wondering how on earth one explained the awkwardness of human attraction to a dragon. You. Remember Captain Shacklebolt? And how he used to. Tease me for having so many human, um, companions around the world? Oh yes, Padfoot said with a sniff. Only that was before you had me, right, Sirius? A dragon companion is much better than a human one. We won't die nearly as soon. Yes, Sirius laughed a little. Your lack of dying is much appreciated, Padfoot. But human companions fulfill a different need than dragons. It has more to do with. Physical. Well, don't dragons ever find other dragons attractive? Or. Or get the urge to. Mate with each other. Padfoot looked even more confused. Well, yes, but I do not think we get itchy when we want to mate. That sounds very uncomfortable. If there is a particularly nice dragon nearby, you might feel the urge to give them a mating gift and if the mating gift is big enough, or particularly shiny, then the other dragon will accept it, and then you rear up onto your hind legs and... Right. Yes. Just so. Sirius interrupted hastily, before he became an unwilling student in the finer details of dragon copulation. Some humans do give each other mating gifts, like... like rings and such, but often you just have to... look into their eyes and try to read their body language to see if they might wish to, um, mate with you. And that is why, he concluded, I have been a little frustrated, and was talking about itches. Because as a privateer, the worst that would happen is the other person declined my offer, and perhaps that was briefly disappointing, but one could sail away immediately afterwards and forget all about it. But here, I would need to continue seeing Loop, um, the other person every day, and it would be most awkward to read the situation incorrectly. Oh, I see. Padfoot nodded gravely. He bent down and nuzzled Sirius who patted his warm snout with more than a little relief that he had somehow made it through their most awkward conversation yet relatively unscathed. Mooney. Patfoot nudged the sleeping silver dragon with one talon. When Mooney did not stir, he wriggled impatiently and huffed out a tiny flame, just enough to warm Mooney's flank.
What? Mooney asked, cracking open one eye. Next to him, Prongs raised his steaming head lazily. I need to know what Remus would most like as a mating gift, Padfoot said urgently. At three o'clock in the morning, Mooney sighed and then blinked. Wait, a mating gift. Who wants to mate with Remus? Consider who is asking you and make an educated guess, Mooney. Catherine grumbled from where she lay sprawled on the heated stones of the covert floor. About time, really. My Lily says if those two were any more obvious about wanting each other, they might as well tattoo it on their foreheads. That is just the trouble, said Padfoot. Sirius does not believe Remus wants him, even though anybody would be lucky to have Sirius as a mate, because Remus has not given him the right signs. Oh, yes, Mooney mused, getting into the spirit of the thing as he shook off the last tendrils of sleep. Remus is just the same. He does not believe anyone as handsome and rich as Sirius would ever want him, even though he is the best human in the whole covered. Well, there, you see, Padfoot said triumphantly, generously ignoring Mooney's incorrect best human in the covert assumption, when clearly the title was Sirius's. We ought to get Remus some mating gifts, and then reveal they were from Sirius, and then Remus will give Sirius the right signs, and then they will both be happy. Prongs's spiked tail thumped on the ground. This is all very well and good, young ones, he said patiently. But you haven't any capital to spend on a mating gift. What exactly are you going to trade for this present? This gave Padfoot pause, at least briefly. Then, his eyes flicked over to the forbidden cowpen, where he had not been since that first day in the covert. Mooney followed his gaze with some trepidation. Padfoot, no. It's for a good cause, Mooney. It's stealing. They would have given us the cows in the morning for breakfast anyways, so we are just taking them in advance. It's borrowing. Like at a bank. But. Look, do you want Remus to get a really shiny mating gift, or not? Padfoot asked impatiently. Humans require a trade to get very nice things, Mooney. Mooney sighed, clearly thinking of Remus's shabby, faded coat and constantly must appearance. Well all right, he said finally. Only this time, I will do the borrowing. The next morning, Sirius wandered downstairs to a very bewildered Remus Lupin draped in a garishly bright gold chain, which Mooney was fussily instructing him on how to wear so it best caught the beams of the low Scottish sun. Well don't you look dashing, he teased. Lupin narrowed his eyes at him playfully. Watch it, Black. Yes, he does look dashing, Mooney agreed enthusiastically. I wonder who could have given Remus such a nice present. I am sure whoever did must like Remus very much. Patfoot chimed in from behind them, craning his long neck to better admire the chain. Sirius raised an eyebrow. Secret admirer? He asked. Lupin shrugged. I woke up this morning and Mooney said someone left it for me with him, but he will not tell me who. Not yet. Mooney corrected hastily. They, um, do not want to be known yet. But is it not a very fine gift, Remus? Yes, my dear, Lupin said patiently. Only I cannot wear it to training, it might get lost. I'll put it away safely, shall I? Oh. Mooney looked vaguely disappointed. Well, yes, I would not want it to be lost. Very well. Sirius smiled as Lupin hastily pulled the chain over his head, and turned to walk with him towards the mess hall. So Mooney gave you a gift? Did he? Sweet of him. He is my only suspect. 
Lupin's eyes crinkled slightly, even as he looked down at the chain and found exasperation. Dragons are notoriously enthralled with anything shiny, the gaudier the better. Though it is odd that he would not take the credit. But perhaps he does not want certain people to find out. His face had darkened a little, and Sirius followed his line of sight to where Greyback was banging his meaty hand on the mess hall table, thick in the middle of an argument with Meadows. Well I thought you looked radiant. Sirius nudged his shoulder, hoping to break him out of his turn towards gloom, and Lupin snorted, though the clouds cleared from his eyes. He nudged Sirius back, smiling just a little. Do shut up, Black. The next day, there was an ornate porcelain music box, with dancers and ribbons hands sculpted around the sides, delivered by Teddy to Lupin in the courtyard, as he and Sirius were immersed in an extremely combative game of chess. Teddy, what is this? Some music box, duh. Teddy's thin arms barely wrapped around the base of the monstrosity before him. Got it from the mailman this morning for you. What an excellent gift. Padfoot remarked loudly from where he and Mooney were standing across the courtyard. Someone must like you very much indeed, Remus. Lupin looked at Sirius, who shrugged. Teddy set the music box down proudly and beamed at his father who patted his shoulder in baffled thanks. The music, they discovered that evening as they sat together drinking a pint, or several, after dinner, once one got past the horrendous nature of its container, was not half bad. Rather romantic, actually, although Sirius did not dare express such a thought out loud. Instead, he teased Lupin about his secret admirer, and enjoyed the way his cheeks flushed under those numerous freckles. Perhaps it's someone you saw in Hogsmeade, when we went to that pub? He suggested, feeling pleasantly warm and floaty as the alcohol made its way through his system. Oh yes. Lupin rolled his eyes. I am certain they took one look at me, in my shabby uniform, and went, ah yes, just what I have always wanted. A penniless aviator without even a dragon to his name and plenty of scars from combat. Stop it. Sirius admonished. You're a catch, Lupin. I won't hear you say otherwise. Says the dashing sea captain turned dragon captain, with your... Lupin flailed a bit, before gesturing at Sirius. Everything. My everything? Laughed Sirius. You know, with the, the dark hair, is thick, and the face and the storm eyes and the confidence and... The, for God's sake, black, stop me now, stop me at once before I die of the humiliation. Sirius beamed widely. Shant. Tell me more nice things about myself. No, you are an egotistical scoundrel, and you're terrible at chess, and I regret becoming friends with you. Too late, Lupin, I already know you like my face. Lupin groaned, his own face flushed, and downed the rest of his pint in one go, before slumping his forehead against Sirius's shoulder and surrender. He closed his eyes. God help me, I suppose I do. I shall deny everything in the morning though. Sirius, giddy from the ale, secretly decided this particular music box melody was his new absolute favorite song. On the third day, right after training had concluded, Lupin was presented with a handwoven rug, gold thread interlocking with blues and reds to create a beautiful picture of a dragon breathing fire mid-flight. Good heavens, Remus, are you secretly involved with a particularly amorous and ostentatious vacount of some kind? Potter laughed, clapping Lupin on the back. He is not an ostentatious Viscount. 
Padfoot piped up indignantly, and then blinked. Um, I mean, I am sure whoever is getting you these lovely presents is not a Viscount. There was a short pause before Padfoot craned his head to where Sirius was, as usual, struggling with the straps of his harness, attempting to dismount. After all this time, the intricacies of the damned harness still eluded his expertise. Sirius, what is a Viscount? Lupin's eyebrows were now raised so far up his forehead that they disappeared below his tousled brown curls. He looked at Padfoot thoughtfully, then over to Sirius, and let out a short puff of air. Ah, he said mildly, face impassive. I see. What do you see? Sirius asked, mildly unnerved at the intensity of his gaze. Lupin gave his small half-smile in return, and said nothing. Instead, he climbed up Padfoot's harness with light-footed ease, and tugged on the harness buckle with nimble fingers. His hands on the harness were swift but gentle, and he was so practiced that he soon had them unfastened without looking once, for his warm eyes had not yet left Sirius's face. I thank you, said Sirius, uncharacteristically tentative, in his confusion. In response, Lupin simply jumped down and held out a hand. Sirius paused, then slowly reached out and grabbed on, allowing Lupin to help ease his dismount gracefully. Lupin's bare skin was warm, calloused from many years in service, and yet his touch was soft. As Sirius's feet reached the stone floor, Lupin's thumb briefly stroked the back of his hand, and a small frisson of energy shot down his spine. He sucked in a quick breath through his nose, quiet, though he was sure Lupin heard. Their eyes met and Lupin let out another quick puff of air before he let go. My pleasure, he said softly, before turning and walking away. Sirius watched him go, watched his hand briefly twitch by his side, as if he were able to still feel Sirius's touch on his skin, and wondered. There, you see, Padfoot said to Mooney later with some smugness. Now Remus has his mating gifts, and Sirius has been given his signs. Did I not tell you stealing the cows was a good idea? You said we didn't steal them. Mooney groaned in some consternation. I don't want to be a thief. Um, right. Borrowed. Borrowed the cows. Oh, Padfoot. Chapter 3 In which Sirius Black fights a battle The week following the end of the mysterious gifts was a harrowing one for Sirius, as he tried to make sense of the new heightened charge between himself and Lupin. It was nothing so discernible that he could ask outright without potentially making a fool of himself, and yet, and yet, and yet Lupin sat a little closer to him in the mess hall, had gentled in his criticism during training. When the two of them played about a football against Potter and Evans, with Teddy and Harry as their goalies, respectively, Lupin went so far as to hug him briefly after a particularly good goal. His amber eyes crinkled when Sirius scooped Teddy up onto his shoulders for a victory lap. Sirius flushed, out of breath and warm straight through, and ran smack into Padfoot's hindquarters when he returned the gaze instead of watching where he was going. The dragon had grumbled mightily that he could make a much better goalie, though both he and Prongs were disqualified on the grounds that they were ten times the size of the goals themselves, and had settled for being particularly enthusiastic spectators. Potter had laughed himself silly over that one. The following day, Sirius was determined not to make a fool of himself, though he was off to a terrible start. He had already overslept, 
almost missing takeoff with the rest of the formation, and Captain Greyback immediately began chewing him out as his crew raced to harness Padfoot in time. Sirius himself was hastily trying to tie his neckcloth, and he was fairly certain his coat was on inside out again, but there was nothing to be done about it now. Clearly the core means nothing to you, Captain Black, but some of us bloody well have appointments after this that we cannot miss. Greyback snarled. You hold us all up with your delinquent behavior. Black. Black. Are you listening? His narrowed eyes followed Sirius's gaze, passed him to where Lupin and Tonks both stood, at the ready near their respective dragons. Lupin. He barked suddenly. Is this your doing? Sir. Lupin responded warily. You start hanging around this delinquent captain and all his small gains in training have gone to the bloody dogs, Lupin. Are you trying to shame the core? Now hang on. Sirius protested. That is an absolutely unfair accusation, sir. Leave it. Lupin hissed quietly, but Sirius went on. Your first lieutenant has done nothing but be helpful, and it is not his fault that I slept in. Clearly he hasn't impressed upon you the discipline of the core, sneered Greyback. Watch a real captain at work, Black. If I see one, I shall, snapped Sirius, thoroughly fed up. He stormed off before Greyback could respond hoisting himself up onto Padfoot's harness. Behind him, Lupin groaned. The rest of the day was absolute hell. Greyback, out to prove his point, harangued his crew into quiet, fearful obedience. Every time there was an error, he screamed his reddened face off, to the point where Meadows had to swoop past him on one of her flight patterns and berate him for distracting the dragons during a particularly intricate maneuver. That only escalated his anger to the point where Sirius was genuinely concerned he'd steer Mooney straight into Padfoot when Padfoot accidentally made a wrong turn, just to make a point, and tumble them both from the sky. It was with great relief that the dragons returned to the courtyard in the early evening, as the sun began to set over the highlands and cast a warm glow that none of them felt. As soon as he'd finally untangled from his harness, Sirius jumped down and made a beeline for Lupin, who stiffened upon his approach. Lupin. Don't. You've done enough today, Black. You're blaming me. Sirius stretched his arms out, gesturing at where Mooney was glumly huddled in a corner. I am not responsible for the actions of that bloody ass. You provoked him. You know arguing back only makes it worse. And he reacted as a child would, not a grown man. No, get back here. Lupin, we're not done. Lupin did not break stride, storming off towards their quarters. Sirius, now truly indignant, raced after him. Lupin. Lupin, you cannot be serious. Twenty years, Black. Twenty years I've had to learn to live around that man, and I've tried to tell you that arguing with him never works. So we are all just supposed to bow before him because his pride can't take it? Yes. Lupin whirled around in the corridor they had just entered, throwing up his hands. I have found no other way. We aren't all captains. You will not make me feel bad about what I've learned to do to survive, Sirius Black. If I have to bend so I don't break, then you have no right to judge me. Well you shouldn't have to, is what I am saying, Lupin. You're too good for the likes of him, Sirius declared hotly. Come off it, I'm a penniless workhouse orphan. Lupin began at once, as if the words had been set to trigger the minute anyone brought up his worth. Worth ten of any lord I've ever met, Sirius interrupted grabbing his arm and swinging him so they were facing each other. I will not listen to you degrade yourself, not when you are the most intelligent. 
Shut up, Black. I will not. Brayback has trodden on you too long, to the point where you believe his lies. You are intelligent, and kind. Stop. Lupin's ears had gone red. And brave, and the most handsome man in. Oh damn you. Lupin growled, and then he was surging forward and kissing Sirius, so hard and sudden that Sirius didn't have time to react before Lupin released his coat and staggered away, looking a little shocked at himself. I, sorry. No. Sirius shook himself out of his shock and leaned forward, eliminating the distance between them. No apologies. He breathed, and then there were soft lips against his. He sank into it, relishing the warmth of Lupin's mouth as it opened, moaning a little as the tension between them finally found its outlet. A burst of laughter, Potter's jovial voice floating from the courtyard below through the open corridor window, broke the moment, and they pulled away from each other, stunned silent as dust motes danced around them, caught in the sunset red air. Come to my room? asked Sirius, finally, breaking the standoff. God, yes. Lupin grabbed his hand in relief and strode forward so quickly that Sirius almost tripped before he caught up. No sooner had Lupin shut the door behind him, than Sirius was pushing him against it, hands tearing at the pristine neckcloth around his neck as he kissed him with all the fury of their argument just moments ago. Ah! Lupin gasped, laughing a little as they broke apart, and Sirius busied himself with unbuttoning his green lieutenant coat with similar vigor the offending neckcloth discarded in haste on the ground. Have you so little respect for the dignity of the corps than you intend to destroy my entire uniform? I intend to destroy your dignity however you'll grant me leave to do so. Sirius growled, finally yanking the damn coat free off Lupin's shoulders. He was momentarily satisfied when he felt a shiver go through the man's body, and then Lupin was pulling him back down for another heady kiss nimble fingers reaching for the inside of Sirius's trousers with the same steadfast determination he'd shown in training. Sirius reciprocated eagerly, fumbling with unfamiliar clasps and buttons, but Lupin easily won the race. He stroked Sirius slowly with one hand, a small half-smile on his face as Sirius's breath caught in his throat. Now, if you had paid attention when I was demonstrating how to dress for the aerial corps. Lupin, are you actually lecturing me right now? Sirius interrupted with a groan that was half pleasure and half pure exasperation. Just observing that there are benefits to the knowledge I've tried to impart, Black. Lupin's hand tightened. Don't think I'm, ah, convinced yet. Sirius retorted, biting his lip to stifle a moan. You will not turn this moment into a learning experience, Lupin, I won't, ha, ah, yes, faster, I won't let you. Lupin chuckled speeding up as Sirius closed his eyes against the onslaught of sensation. I suppose I'll have to further demonstrate the benefits of listening to me then, Captain. Sirius's eyes flew open again at that, noticing Lupin's voice had come from far lower than expected. Oh bloody hell, he swore. Lupin smirked up at him briefly from where he knelt on the ground, before taking him into his mouth, and all remaining rational thought fled Sirius's mind. I, wait. Lupin, wait. Sirius groaned, fingers white where they pulled at the soft curls below him. Lupin hummed as he slowly pulled off his cock, and the vibration shot up Sirius's spine like a lightning bolt. He barely stifled an involuntary moan. Something the matter. Lupin raised an eyebrow as he looked up at him, amber eyes bright. His lips were spit-shiny and reddened, cheeks flushed, and sandy brown hair a tousled mess, 
blurring in Sirius's dizzy eyes into a riot of pure, autumnal-colored want. Sirius swallowed hard. Only that you are far too skilled, and I am loath to let this end so soon. Slow down. I never took you for a man who would want to deny himself instant gratification. Lupin mused. As Sirius watched, a clever red tongue lashed out, licking a slow stripe around the tip. Have you so little self-control that it all would be over if I did? Hmm, perhaps this. He took a breath, opened his mouth wide and dove back down in one swoop, swallowing around Sirius's cock until his lips were almost at the root. Ah. Sirius's head thudded back against the wooden door, barely hanging on as hot, wet, pulsing, swallowing, pressure, hot, wet flooded his brain, but the slight pain was enough to goad him to action. He tugged Lupin up and kissed him fiercely, replacing with his tongue where his cock had been just moments ago. Before Lupin could say a word, he had pushed them both down into the mattress that was mercifully a mere three steps from the entrance. Lupin landed below him and Sirius immediately tugged at the damned aviator trousers, buttons flying as they tore open. I'll sew the damn things back on later. Sirius breathed into Lupin's ear when he made a noise of protest, hands diving down to where Sirius finally could return the favor. Lupin arched up as Sirius wrapped a warm hand around them both. You, ha, better, he gasped, bucking his hips as they slid together, Sirius's spit-slick cock easing the friction a little between them. Yes, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. God, you're beautiful. Sirius panted, keeping his eyes open, unwilling to miss the unadulterated pleasure on Lupin's face. Unlike the carefully constructed walls and mild manners in public, Lupin in bed let his body move without restraint or self-consciousness, lips falling open and lean torso squirming with the sensation of each stroke. It seemed almost as much a mental release as a physical one for him as he continued his mantra, burying his face into Sirius's neck. A particularly hard thrust up with his hips had Sirius swearing and scrambling to hold on to his own control, but it was far too late with Lupin's legs wrapped around him and he spilled over his own fingers in hot, white spurts. Don't stop, so close, don't stop. Lupin begged and Sirius roused to continue stroking clumsy but firm, until Lupin finally fell silent, shaking, and came soon after. Sirius buried his head into soft hair and breathed in, content in a way he hadn't been since he'd first arrived in Scotland. He almost felt rather than heard a low chuckle and then Lupin was turning them so they were on their sides, facing each other. For several minutes they lay there, catching their breaths and trading sporadic, sleepy kisses. Well that was, unexpected. Lupin finally broke the silence. A surprisingly gentle hand came up to brush the sweaty black hair from Sirius's forehead, palm lingering and cradling his cheek. It was tender in a way he wasn't used to after his usual dalliances, and Sirius swallowed hard. Just think, we could have been resolving all our conflicts this way, he joked, breaking the moment in an effort to rid himself of the sudden jitters in his chest. A new teaching methodology for you, perhaps? Lupin rolled his eyes, and then turned that roll into a full-body action, pinning Sirius beneath him. You wish? I do. Sirius agreed fervently, sliding his hands up and down the naked torso above him. Well then. There was a small half-smile above him, and Sirius was melting, jitters replaced by stirrings of want once more. By all means, let's continue your learning. So. 
Have I convinced you, then? Lupin asked softly, as they lay satiated in Sirius's unmade bed, a few hours later. They had gone another round, the oil usually hidden in Sirius's bedside table playing a starring role in the sequel. Sirius relished feeling the ghost of their coupling in his muscles, the echo of those clever fingers opening him up, followed by Lupin thrusting into him as hard and fast as Sirius could take. Sirius had egged him on greedily, until they had both finished and collapsed, somewhat stickily, down onto the bed. The ache of it all was made sweeter by the contrast now, surrounded by the softness of the mattress and the man draped bonelessly over his side. The bed frame was narrow, far too narrow for two tall officers to truly lie together in comfort, but they had made do, tangled limbs shaded blue and gold by the flickering candlelight. At that very moment, Sirius suspected they could be lying on the cold, hard floorboards themselves and he would not care a whit, so long as he could wrap his arms around Remus Lupin's bare skin. Hmm, he asked, rousing from the tangled netting of his mind. I beg your pardon, I was lost in thought. I noticed. Lupin's voice was amused. Where'd you go, Black? Not Black. Hmm. I refuse. Sirius raised one of their entwined hands and kissed the crease where their fingers clutched each other. To let you call me black in bed, after all the times you've yelled it at me in training, I am predisposed to flinch when I hear it from your lips. Lupin's small half-smile lit the room. And what should I call you instead? He pulled the same entwined fingers towards him and mirrored Sirius's kiss. Captain, sir. Sirius shivered a little, lazy sparks of lust rekindling in his belly, and Lupin's head lifted to grin at him, clearly pleased with the reaction. My given name will do just fine. Sirius said, voice a little strangled. Sirius. It is what those. Closer to me use, after all. Sirius. Lupin hummed, and dropped back down onto Sirius's chest. Very well, but do not think I have not noticed you avoiding my question. He did not, Sirius noticed, offered to let him use Remus in return. After what we just did, you may count yourself lucky I have the ability to speak at all, let alone comprehend questions. What did you ask? Have I convinced you that there are, in fact, benefits to enlisting in the aerial corps? Lupin repeated. Sirius chuckled in response, stroking his must hair. By the light of the fire, the sandy brown curls were multicolored, strands of gold, and a few hints of copper ran between his fingers. Sirius had scarcely ever felt more content. You make a strong argument, I admit, he murmured, dropping a kiss onto the crown of his head. Though I don't expect they could advertise this particular perk very widely whilst recruiting. Lupin laughed into Sirius's skin, the sensation sending pleasant tingles up and down his spine. No, I don't expect they could. Lupin agreed dryly. Though they do give us a wider berth than most. Our reputation as the morally bereft division of His Majesty's service has some truth to it, I suppose. Sirius snorted. James did make the excellent point that it is rather hard to argue with a twenty-ton dragon that his captain ought to be jailed for indecency. Which, I suppose, is yet another benefit to being a dragon's captain. Yes, Lupin said after a pause. I expect it is. His shoulders had stiffened slightly, and Sirius inwardly cursed at his own thoughtlessness. I didn't mean to. Boast, or remind you of your. Or my. Sirius could see that he had already lost him. Lupin's face, a moment ago warm and contented, had settled back into its usual mild but inscrutable expression, 
a barrier to further entry. It is of no consequence. He shrugged and sat up. Sirius shivered, immediately mourning the loss of body heat as Lupin began hunting for his shirt. The circumstances of my birth and family are what they are, just as yours has granted you your good fortune. I am fortunate to have found a station as high up as I have, and to be an aviator in the corps, where those in power will turn a blind eye to these, quiet indiscretions, is more than most with our disposition could enjoy in England. Sirius raised an eyebrow. A quiet indiscretion? Is that all this is? His heart sank unexpectedly to his stomach, though he told himself sternly that it had no right. Lupin had made him no promises nor given any indication that he was looking for more than simple physical congress. After all, it was what Sirius was used to doing in his own forays into men's beds. This logic, unfortunately, did not assuage his heart or stomach. Lupin stilled from where he had been shrugging his coat back on, eyes wary. Well, yes. Do, do you not agree? I mean, Sirius, I have no prospects for the future, and you're a captain. This was fun, but I'm not. We aren't really. He trailed off, looking lost. Sirius swallowed once, averting his eyes from the entirely distracting sight of Lupin dressing, skin still dotted with evidence of the bruising kisses he'd bestowed in the height of their passions. If this was how it was in the core, then by God, he would not ask for more than Lupin was willing to give. His dignity, tattered as it was by the events of the past few months, could handle no more blows and he would not reduce himself to asking a man who recently loathed the sight of him to what? Enter a romantic courtship? The very idea sounded absurd, even to himself. Oh no, he said with a little grin, and was proud of how even his voice sounded. I was only hoping we might call it quiet indiscretions, plural. That is, if you were so inclined to repeat the endeavor in future. Oh, Lupin looked relieved. Yes, I mean, he added hastily. I wouldn't be opposed, if you were inclined to repeat the endeavor, which I suppose you are, seeing as you asked. Um, yes, yes, is my answer. Sirius smiled, enjoying the flush of freckled cheeks. Well, Lupin continued awkwardly, hand on the doorknob. Good night, then, Black. Back to Black. Sirius sighed inwardly as Lupin left, shutting the door quickly behind him. Good night, Remus he said softly. It is all a matter of staying in formation, Fox said sternly, about a month later, snapping the neck of his cow with practiced precision. Padfoot looked over at him from where he had been happily engrossed in his own breakfast. Life had certainly improved, in the times since Sirius and Remus had become friends, but one of the downsides was the two of them no longer spent breakfast with their dragons, preferring to spend the time instead with each other. Padfoot had asked once what they were doing with all that early morning free time, and Sirius had turned rather red, and just sputtered, and then pretended to hear Evans calling him, when Padfoot knew she was already in the mess hall. So now they ate breakfast with the other dragons, which led to all sorts of interesting discussions and gossip, and unfortunately occasionally training chat. Padfoot really hated training chat. M in pay FM Sean, he said indignantly through a thick mouthful of cow. A few specks of blood hit Fox's equally red hide. He sighed and flipped them off with one weary talon. I beg your pardon. He said, but I am impatient. Catherine translated confidently. Um, no. 
Prongs looked over from where he had been staring up at a particularly delightful-looking flock of birds. I think you'll find he said, I love my vocation. In what world would that make more sense than what I said, Prongs? Why not? We all love our vocation, don't we? It comes with free cows. I said. Padfoot finally swallowed. I do stay in formation. Oh, Prongs said in a tone of great disappointment. Are you sure you didn't say something about your vocation? Just then, there was a loud squeak as a small, gray shape barreled into the courtyard and slammed into Mooney. Mooney! Mooney Mooney Mooney! The shape resolved itself into a small dragon, barely larger than a Clydesdale horse, hopping around and whipping its thin tail in the air in great excitement. Hello, Wormtail! Mooney said warmly, nudging the small dragon with his snout. Does this mean Peter is here with a message? Yes, Wormtail squealed happily. He caught sight of Padfoot and his head cocked. Oh, a new dragon. Oh yes, Padfoot, this is Wormtail. He's one of our courier dragons, captained by Peter Pettigrew. You're so small. Padfoot lowered his head in fascination. He had never seen a full-grown dragon quite so tiny. Wormtail puffed himself up as big as he could go, which, admittedly, was not big at all. I am built for speed, he corrected before his face drooped at the sight of their breakfast. Oh, and we have come such a long way. It is a very important job, courier. We bring messages from the Admiralty all the way from London to Scotland, and I am so hungry. Here, Mooney gave in at once, pushing the rest of his breakfast over with a long, silver foreleg. Oh, Mooney, your cow. You are my favorite dragon in the whole world. Wormtail beamed, and then dove in headfirst. Mooney, you do not always have to give in to everyone, Prong said gently. Mooney shrugged. It makes him happy, and I do not mind. You ought to stick up for yourself more, Padfoot nodded at Catherine. I do not let others tell me what to do. You are not a good example, Nimbus said firmly. You would tell me the sky was green if I observed it was blue, just to be contrary, and Dorcas says Sirius is just the same. Sometimes you must also learn to work with the team, Padfoot, and not just please yourself. Aha, Mooney said triumphantly. And you should please yourself more. Nimbus sighed, shaking her long head at him. You know, if we could have but a blend of the two of you, we might actually have a well-rounded dragon. Here, what's all this then? An exasperated voice rang out over the courtyard before Padfoot could respond with great indigence. Prongs brightened as a short plump man with mousy hair strolled towards them, accompanied by James. Wormtail! You had breakfast two hours ago! What? Padfoot turned to stare at the little dragon, who sat up licking his chops, looking not at all ashamed at having been caught in his lie. That was before, Peter, he explained, wriggling a little. I was hungry again now. And also, he added in a very reasonable tone, that was a pig. This is cows, Peter. Cows. He's going to be too heavy to fly back straight away now, Peter groaned, turning towards James. And me with urgent news to take back from Dumbledore to the Admiralty. An hour or two wait will do you no harm, Petey boy. James clapped him on the back. Surely it cannot be so urgent as all that. Oh, but it is, Peter fretted. I have to tell the Admiralty. The French, James, they're about to invade. His voice rang out across the courtyard and all activities ceased at once. 
James grabbed onto Peter's arm, frenetic energy gone still. His normally jovial face was stern. What do you mean, Peter? It's... it's what I came to tell Dumbledore, James. Peter squeaked in a fair imitation of his dragon. They'll be heading across the channel shortly, and Dumbledore has chosen your formation to stop them. I must fly back as soon as possible, to confirm to the Admiralty that your aid is on the way. Sirius felt completely out of his depth as the dragon formation flew south towards the channel, where the French would be waiting for them. Though he and Padfoot had been training for about four months at this point, he had only ever engaged in sporadic skirmishes on the Marauder, a completely different prospect from engaging in full-blown battle. Padfoot, by contrast, could not have been more eager to depart for his first action, practically prancing in place like a large dog awaiting his first walk of the day, until he had almost squashed Frank Longbottom during a particularly giddy wiggle, who did not take it well. Sit your damned rump on the ground this instant, Padfoot, the groundmaster bellowed, round face shiny with sweat. If we can't get a harness on you in the next ten minutes, I'm telling your captain you must be left behind, and he can ride with Mooney instead. He would not, Padfoot cried indignantly, and swung his long neck over to look at Sirius, who was trying very hard not to laugh at the sight of Frank's undignified hop and squawk as he leapt out of the way of stomping dragon feet. You would not, would you, Sirius? No, darling, of course not, Sirius soothed, patting his snout. But the formation may leave us both behind if you are not harnessed, so do sit still for a moment, all right? Ha! Padfoot threw Frank a triumphant an entirely insubordinate glare, but he also promptly sat and let the beleaguered man finish his work. Once the harness lay well, First Lieutenant Tonks got the rest of the crew aboard. Patfoot was now large enough for ten adults, and Harry, their signal ensign, to sit comfortably on his back, with Sirius in the captain's position at the base of his neck, and the rest spread out, clipped onto metal rings on the dragon's harness by carabiners and rope tied to their own chest straps. Too soon, Sirius was in the air, and about to captain his first dragon battle, and oh lord. He was going to be sick. He was going to be sick and the ground was so very far away, and did the training manual he had neglected to read until this very second, despite Lupin's increasingly exasperated reminders, just say that sometimes dragons dropped onto other dragons from above. What was one meant to do in that scenario? Submit to their fate as a pancake? Suddenly Frank's indignation over trampling seemed much more sympathetic. Signal ahead, three enemies sighted. Tonks shouted, a few hours of flight later, and Sirius looked up in alarm. He could see the channel up ahead, small puffs of smoke in the distance as cannons fired between the British and French Navy ships. Captain Meadows and Nimbus were at the front of the arrow formation they'd formed, and her signal ensign's flags were darting too quickly for him to read. She was flanked on either side by Evans on Catherine, and Potter on Prongs. Behind Catherine was Greyback on Mooney, mirroring himself on Patfoot. It was the same formation they'd practiced a dozen times, and yet Sirius suddenly couldn't remember a thing about how to use their position in battle. I can't. Tonks, what does that say? He asked helplessly as the flags changed again, wishing to hell and back he had paid more attention in training. A quick vision of Lupin's face rose in his mind. I told you to listen, Black, it whispered, and Sirius growled as he shook his head to clear it. One Fleur de Newit, one Petit Chevalier, and one unidentified. 
Tonks translated fluently, sharp eyes narrowed as she squinted past his shoulder. Three minutes until contact is made. British and French Navy ships below already engaged. Right flank to engage Fleur de Nuit. Orders, Captain. Fleur de Nuit, Fleur de Nuit. Sirius muttered, racking his brain for any useful information. Warm brown eyes came back to him instead, almost gold in candlelight, and he was about to give up in exasperation. Had he truly condemned them to die because he had stuffed his head with ill-advised pining? Good God, pull yourself together, Sirius, when the memory bloomed in full. Lupin's smile was barely visible in the low-lit bedroom as Sirius kissed the jagged scar on his bare shoulder, nestled in his freckles. It was a night like this, pitch black, no clouds. The fleur de nuit came out of nowhere, they can see in the dark, you know, and I didn't let off the flares in time to blind it. Left me with quite a few of those. Flash bombs, he shouted relieved. He turned and looked at Tonks. Ready the flash bombs. Tell the gunners we'll light up the sky first, blind it, and then they are to fire on my signal. Yes, sir. She saluted smartly and then was gone scampering back towards the other officers to belay orders with a grace and ease he wouldn't have thought possible from her usual clumsiness on level ground. Up ahead, the left half of the formation broke off to engage with the Petitia Valley. Sirius could see Greyback shouting orders from his seat near Mooney's neck, and Lupin running back to get the guns ready, just as Tonks was. Padfoot. He called out as a dark shape beat steadily towards them. Hold the high ground. So the bombs have time to do their work. We're going to win, Padfoot cheered, and swooped upwards into the clouds. I certainly hope so, Sirius whispered, and then the dark shape resolved into a deep blue dragon rising to meet them in the mist, a low bellow rattling his bones. The battle had begun. Fire, Sirius roared, ducking as a rifle ball passed so close, he could feel the burn of it as it grazed his cheek. There was an answering crack of return fire from Padfoot's back as the Pruitt brothers took aim. One of them, Sirius could not tell which, hit the flit and wee in the soft part of its neck. Though it was likely barely more than a small stab of pain to such a large dragon, it was enough proof of their superior position that it roared, rolling to get out of range, and almost flipping its crew. On its back, he could see tiny furious Frenchmen scrambling to hold on, dangling by their harness straps. Ha! Padfoot crowed. You won't get away that easily. Sirius felt the muscles under his feet ripple as the dragon took off in pursuit, claws outstretched. The Flitdenwi, already weary from almost an hour of sparring, sped up, wings beating furiously back towards France. Hold, Padfoot! Sirius yelled. We cannot leave the formation. But we'll lose them! Padfoot protested, straining to catch up. Black, get your beast bank in his place. Greyback bellowed as Mooney swooped past them, executing a tight turn and confusing the Petit Chevalier in pursuit. Before it realized it had been surrounded, Catherine had risen from below, and a long line of acid was spat in the direction of its eyes. The dragon snarled, twisting to dodge, and almost flew up directly into Prongs, who had been waiting patiently above. Sirius saw Potter give the order, and then his men were jumping down onto the Chevalier's back pistols and swords at the ready. Within moments, the French captain had surrendered at gunpoint, waving a white handkerchief. The chevalier began flying slowly back towards English soil, anxiously twisting its head to ensure no harm had come to its captain all the while.
Turn back, Padfoot. Sirius called out, flushing to see the well-executed strategy, and the empty spot in the air where they should have been, ready to lend aid. But we can't win. Padfoot began, and then wheeled back suddenly in alarm as a new dragon, speckled black and gold, rose before his face, covering the fleur de newt's retreat. Captain, Captain, get us out of range. Tonks yelled. It's another flamme de gloire. Another one? Sirius said blankly, and then the dragon was opening its jaws, a dull orange glow between its jagged teeth, and his brain caught up. Padfoot, dive. He bellowed. They swooped out of range just in time, as a stream of fire streaked through the air above them. Unfortunately, the same maneuver that had brought the Petitia Valley low worked equally well when executed by the French. They had barely seated the high ground when the shout of Borders arose, and Sirius looked up to see a stream of men landing on Padfoot's back, clipping themselves onto his harness. The clash of swords and crack of pistols rose steadily in the air as his officers defended their positions. Padfoot was fully in retreat now, the Flama de Gloire in hot pursuit. Sirius drew his sword, starting forward, and Tonks immediately snapped. Put it away. As she drew her own pistols, one in each hand. She turned her back, clearly intending to guard him. I can fight. Sirius protested and she shot him a withering glare. You and this damn dragon are just the same. You are the captain, if you fight at close range and are captured, we're done for, Padfoot will do anything the French say to keep you safe. She shot one of the pistols and Sirius heard a man scream. Stay there, get your pistol out instead. Another shot, another scream. She somehow kept her balance as Padfoot leaned midair while Sirius stumbled, falling to his knees and grabbing the harness below them in an effort to remain upright at all. Harry, signal to the others that we have borders, aid needed, Harry. Sirius pushed past Tonks in alarm as one of the boarders grabbed the young signal ensign's straps severing them with a swift downstroke of his sword from where they were stretched taut near Padfoot's left wing. Harry's skinny arms wheeled frantically in the air as he lost balance, tumbling over the edge towards the frigid waters far below. Sirius didn't hesitate. He dove off Padfoot's side and used the momentum to swing by his own straps towards the falling boy. He grasped blindly and caught a fistful of fabric, and then Harry was in his arms, hauled up by the scruff of his green coat. In the distance, he saw Mooney abruptly break off and wheel towards them. A small figure with must hair and a green coat was up near the dragon's head, pointing in Padfoot's direction. Down below on Mooney's back, the echoes of Greyback's angry screams of Insubordination, Lupin, whipped past with the wind. All right? Sirius asked, beginning to haul them back up by his straps as best he could. That was brilliant. Harry cheered completely unfazed by this brush with mortality, and Sirius momentarily longed for the days when he was ten and also considered himself invincible. You jumped off a dragon, I mean. Thank you, Captain Sir. He added hastily, remembering his place. Well, your ma'am did say she would feed me to Catherine if you died. Sirius grunted slightly as he pushed Harry back onto Padfoot's back. He undid one of his own straps and clasped it onto Harry's harness with a fond grin. I would rather not be dinner, if it's all the same to you. Harry might have laughed. Sirius definitely heard the beginning of a giggle, but it morphed into a cry of alarm as suddenly one of the few remaining boarders was upon them, and Sirius had to duck as a sword was swung in his direction. Captain, 
He heard Harry yell, and then Sirius met the next blow with his own blade, hastily drawn. The boarder, an older man with white blonde hair and a nasty sneer, aimed a kick at his leg, clearly meaning to throw him off balance. Sirius dodged and swiped at his sword arm. The man parried the blow, but stumbled back momentarily. Behind him, Sirius could see the other officers fighting fiercely against the remaining interlopers, but there was nobody free to come to his aid. What is happening? Sirius, you all right? Padfoot cried anxiously, trying to look behind him and fly faster at the same time. Keep going, keep going. Sirius yelled back. Whatever you do, do not stop until we reach the formation. The formation itself was now rearranging to be ready for battle against the Flama de Gloria, but Mooney was still out of position, beating towards them as quickly as his silver wings could go. The boarder, clearly a lieutenant by the bars on his uniform, recovered, and struck again just as Padfoot swooped up to dodge another bout of flames. Sirius stumbled, and then dropped his sword with a hiss as steel bit through his coat. A well-placed kick brought one of his feet down from under him, and he fell against Padfoot's neck. Surrender. No. Sirius snapped and kicked out blindly at the man's legs. The soldier grunted in pain and pointed his sword at him. Surrender now, or I incapacitate you. You are a hostage either way, Moami. I only need you alive to control your dragon, not in good condition. I said no bloody thank you. Sirius rolled and reached for his sword with his left hand, but the man was too fast. With a swift kick, they both watched as it slid across Padfoot's back and down into the ocean below. Viva Lapaturt! The lieutenant shouted as he raised his sword again. Right arm still useless, Sirius tried to scramble backwards to gain enough range to use his pistol, but the man grabbed him by the neckcloth, pinning him in place. Sirius! A familiar voice cried out, panicked, and he saw Lupin scrambling up onto Mooney's head. He was urging Mooney on, faster and faster, but Sirius could see they were too far to be able to make the leap to Padfoot's back in time. There was a loud noise and Sirius flinched, pulling away so suddenly that he escaped the soldier's grip. Then, he realized his assailant had been shot. The man collapsed to the side, groaning and clutching his own arm. He turned, and there was Lupin, hanging off of Mooney, who had flown as close as he could get alongside Padfoot. Lupin's normally flushed cheeks had gone pale, eyes hard. He had jumped off the dragon, feet pressed against Mooney's chest so he was almost perpendicular in an effort to get as closely in range as possible. One hand still held onto his harness straps, the other had a firm grip on a still-smoking pistol, and as relief flooded him, Sirius was sure he had never seen a sight so welcome or so beautiful in all his life. Chapter 4 In Which a Duel is Fought The battle was won, in the end, when Mooney and Padfoot combined to chase off the Flandegloire. Padfoot even redeemed himself by breathing a steady stream of fire onto the French navy below, enough to force them to concede, and hopefully, stave off another lecture from Dumbledore and Fox over not staying in their assigned spot in the formation. Still, Sirius could not help but feel as though he had let the others down with his lax management of Padfoot. He wanted to preserve the dragon's high spirits, yes, but not at the cost of endangering his crew. Every time he thought of Harry slipping off the edge, he shuddered. Potter had enveloped him in a warm embrace as soon as they landed, and he had finished smothering Harry. 
You saved him. He sobbed into Sirius's shoulder. Behind him, Evans had Harry wrapped in an equally stifling hug. The boy was squirming with embarrassment, though Sirius thought he also looked a little pleased at all the attention. It was my fault he fell in the first place, James, Sirius said grimly. Potter looked up. No, no, Sirius, you cannot place that upon yourself, he said firmly. It was a battle. Dragons are unpredictable in battle, and you reigned Padfoot in beautifully in the end. He squeezed Sirius one more time, and Sirius winced. Ah, right, your arm. You're bleeding. Get Pomfrey to look after you. I'm going to go ask Hagrid to go find some salve for Prongs's tail. He's moaning as though he were dying, though he barely got singed. He shook his head fondly. I tell you, that dragon will be the death of me. Sirius scrubbed a hand over his weary face. When it fell again, he saw the blood of the Frenchman in the creases of his fingers. The Frenchman, who, but for Lupin's swift intercedence and steady shot, would have run him straight through where he stood on Padfoot's back, too busy proving his mettle and steering them into the heart of the battle to realize they had been boarded. Lupin, who even now was not at rest, hovering anxiously near Mooney as Dr. Pomfrey dug the bullets from his silver-scaled hide. Mooney let out a brief whimper, digging his claws into the soft dirt as the surgeon worked, and Lupin, after a quick glance to ensure Captain Greyback was nowhere near, hugged his soft snout, speaking too low for Sirius to hear. Something in his chest tugged at the sight. T, Captain. Tonks asked brightly by his elbow, and Sirius started. Good Lord, Tonks. I didn't see you there, he mumbled, taking the china cup from her and swigging it down in a single gulp. A moment later, he began coughing as the familiar burn of whiskey rose in his throat. Tea, is it? He gasped. I thought we weren't allowed hard spirits in the cover. Well, it's tea, colored. She shrugged, unabashed. And it's not like the admiral will sniff your cup. Besides, I thought you could use it, first action and all. And it seemed like you could use some liquid courage. Oh, did it? Sirius asked Riley. Did my courage not impress you enough in battle? Oh no, you were very good. She said dismissively. I just meant so you could go over and talk to Lupin instead of staring after him silently like he hung the bloody moon. Sirius, for the first time, privately thanked the biting winds of Scotland for his already flushed cheeks. I was not. If you say so. She sing-songed as she began to walk away. Go on, Captain, don't be a scrub about it. Go and thank him for saving your life, and then perhaps also tell him you'd very much like to demonstrate your gratitude. You know, later tonight. In your chambers. There was a short pause. Alone. You, Sirius said grumpily, are quite possibly the most insubordinate Lieutenant Britain has ever known. And aren't you lucky to have me? She yelled back. You look like you've been in a war, Black. Lupin gave a faint half-smile as Sirius approached. Sirius barked a laugh, far too loud for the joke in question, then winced, his nerves aflare again with a vengeance. For God's sake, he had just faced down a fire-breathing flamdegloire with less hesitation than this. Lupin, I, I owe you a great debt of gratitude, he said formally, kneeling beside Lupin. His eyes grazed the man's hands where they were clasped before him, blackened with gunpowder. He wished he could hold them, squeeze their fingers together until the blood and gunpowder mixed together and were forgotten about entirely. He refrained. You don't. Lupin shook his head. No, I really do. 
Sirius said earnestly. Had you not broken formation to save us, I would not be here. I was about to die. Don't. Lupin's voice cracked. He looked at the ground. Please, I, I do not want to think about what would have happened if. It was a battle. Sirius echoed James's words gently. It would not have been your fault if anything had happened to me. Lupin swallowed hard. This is why it is better not to get attached, Black, he said despairingly. I saw you in trouble, and I could not breathe. I broke ranks against Greyback's orders to get to you. All I could think was. He shook his head, stopping himself abruptly. Lupin. Sirius's voice was soft with hope. Are you saying now? Entanglements. Mean something more to you. Lupin's head shot up. I am saying that my attachment to you, Sirius Black, is clouding my judgment. He paled a little, and Sirius turned to see Greyback striding towards them furiously. Lupin took a deep breath. And there will be consequences. Lupin. Greyback yelled, and both men shot to their feet. What the hell do you think you were doing, boy, disobeying my orders? I'm sorry, sir. Lupin said quietly, and Sirius stepped forward. His quick thinking saved my life, Captain Greyback, even if it wasn't part of our training. More's the pity. Greyback snapped at him. You didn't discipline your beast, you deserved everything you got, Captain. Sir, ah. Uh, Lupin began. Did I say you could speak, filth? Greyback growled. Disobey me again, and I'll see you stripped of your rank and flogged, do you understand me, you pathetic whelp? Before Sirius could stop him, he had hauled back and smashed his large fist into Lupin's face. Mooney, who had been cowering nearby, gave a little cry of distress as Lupin staggered backwards and fell onto the ground. Sirius let out a roar and seized Greyback by the coat lapels, slamming him into the nearest covert wall. Hurt him again, and I will end your miserable existence, he snarled. Do not interfere with how I discipline my crew, Black, Greyback shoved at him. Sirius held firm. You are no more fit to captain a crew than I am to dance in the bloody ballet. I'll flog him right now in this very courtyard, until he breaks, if you do not unhand me. Greyback's voice was low and menacing. Sirius immediately let go, horrified by the very thought. Greyback smirked, straightening his coat. That's what I thought. Your threats are as weak as your discipline. You will grant me the satisfaction of proving otherwise. Name your time and place. Sirius said angrily. Sirius, no. Lupin had picked himself back up, nursing one side of his face. There is no dueling allowed in the corps, surely you remember. Yes, Sirius. Greyback mocked. Do not humiliate yourself further, my little pigeon-livered lieutenant is trying to save your worthless skin. You will grant me the satisfaction of answering your insults. Tomorrow, outside the cover, sir. Sirius repeated, shaking with rage. He ignored Lupin's exasperated groan. If you insist, Black, I will gladly rid the core of you. Greyback's yellow smile was pointed and wide. Sirius, no. Tomorrow then. Dawn. Guns drawn. Sirius pushed past Lupin as the man tried to reach for his shoulder, unwilling to spend another moment in the courtyard when Greyback was smirking. Padfoot looked up from where the dragons were now feasting on fresh cows as he stomped past. Are you all right? He called out, cocking his large black head. Sirius gave him a weak smile and a wave, but kept going, striding inside and up the stairs to his rooms. He did not know how he would begin to explain the concept of a duel to Padfoot anyways. He would undoubtedly wish to involve himself, 
and it did not feel very sporting to show up with an angry, fire-breathing dragon as one second. Besides, he found himself uncharacteristically unwilling to engage in any conversation at present. Sirius, wait. Unfortunately, Lupin did not appear to have gotten the memo. Sirius, now, is it? He unlocked his door, not looking at the man running towards him. The doorknob jammed as he yanked at the handle. He swore, shoved at the wood with his shoulder, and stomped inside. What do you mean? Lupin followed him in, shutting the offending door behind him. Not black. You refused to call me anything but black for months, but now that I might get shot tomorrow, it is finally safe to show a modicum of intimacy, is that it? Sirius, stop. Because I'll likely die before we get too attached. Sirius. Well, if you have any luck, Lupin, I shan't cloud your judgment much longer. Never fear, ah. Lupin pulled back from the hard kiss a moment later, breathing heavily, golden brown eyes intense and unreadable. Don't you dare imply I would ever wish you dead, Sirius Black. Don't you dare. Sirius blinked, trying to clear his spinning head. This. I thought you were coming to argue with me over the duel. You aren't doing the duel, Lupin retorted easily. So there is nothing to argue over. Has Greyback suddenly come to his senses and wishes to apologize? Remus looked at him in exasperation. Then I am doing the duel, Lupin. You are not. You'll either die, or be kicked out of the corps for fighting another captain. Captains cannot duel, you know this, the dragons would lose their heads over it. You cannot do this to Padfoot. Padfoot will understand, Sirius said stubbornly, swallowing down his guilt. Then you cannot do this to me, it is not worth it. You cannot constantly come to my aid like I'm a fainting maiden, who needs protecting from his captain, Lupin argued. You've been doing so for months, and every time it only escalates the situation. Lupin, he threatened to flog you purely out of dislike for me. The man is a maniac. Yes, well, Lupin waved his hand impatiently. It would not be the first flogging he has given me, and that is no reason for you to throw your life away. Wait, what? Sirius grasped Lupin's shoulders to stop him continuing. There was a queasy feeling in the pit of his stomach as he suddenly remembered the mass of silver scars on a freckled back, scars he had kissed as they moved together, Lupin gasping beneath him. Those. You said you got your scars in battle. Lupin looked down. Many of them, I did. Some, were him. Sirius swallowed hard. Gently, he lifted one hand and traced the darkening bruise on Lupin's cheek before slipping down to raise Lupin's chin until their eyes met. Then it is every reason for me to fight him. You are reason enough. I'm not, Lupin whispered. Sirius, please do not. Sirius did not respond. Instead, he shook his head and kissed him again. Unlike the previous time, it was slow and gentle. He poured every unspoken bit of affection he had kept inside over their time together into his movements tenderly tracing Lupin's lips with his tongue and slipping it inside as the man let out a soft moan of approval. One hand reached up to run through Lupin's perpetually must hair, the other sliding down his spine to rest on the small of his back. Come to bed with me, Lupin, he whispered, breaking their kiss at last. If I am out of the core tomorrow, come to bed with me tonight. One last time. Remus. Lupin closed his eyes, voice barely controlled. For God's sake, call me Remus. Sirius's face lit up and he squeezed hard, pulling.
pulling their bodies flush against each other. He could feel Lupin's arousal against his own, but he did not thrust or move against it. Tonight, he wanted to take his time. Come to bed with me, Remus, he repeated quietly, and the man shivered a little in his arms. Yes, he whispered in Sirius's ear, and then the two of them were falling back against Sirius's mattress, clothes removed with supreme care, lips pressed together gently. Lupin clung to him as they moved, all quiet sighs and shuddering moans. Sirius held him back just as tightly, murmuring a steady litany of, Remus, oh, God, yes, you feel incredible, Remus, yes, against sensitive skin. He did not let go, not when Lupin bucked up and came between them with a strangled, oh God, Sirius, Sirius, don't stop, Sirius, nor when he at last came himself burying his face into the juncture between Lupin's neck and shoulder to muffle his cries. When at last they were sated, and the candles blown out, Sirius could not help but feel that if this were truly their final entanglement, at least he had put every ounce of bitten-back love into his actions. He could only hope, once he left the core, that the memory would be enough. You have truly ruined me, Remus Lupin, he whispered into the sleeping man's hair. Lupin did not stir and Sirius sighed. Tomorrow, he decided. Tomorrow, before the duel, he would tell Lupin how much he meant to him, so he could go forth with no regrets. Even if Lupin did not feel the same, as Sirius knew the man would not allow himself to get so attached, it would be one less weight on his own conscience. With that, Sirius at last closed his eyes. When he awoke, it was to an empty bed, and a note on the pillow beside his head. Sirius. I cannot let you duel today. Padfoot needs you, and Mooney needs Greyback. A dragon cannot survive the aerial core without their human. I have gone to persuade him of this fact, or, failing that, and we both know, I think, I am likely to fail, to stand in your place, so that honor may yet be satisfied. Really, I should have stood up to him long ago, and I will not see you fall because of my failures. Forgive me, I could think of no other way. Remus. Sirius sat straight up, eyes flying to the bare shelf where his keys had been tossed last night. He ran over to the door, heart pounding, and yanked on the handle. It was locked from the outside. No, 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 no. He banged on the wood with both fists. Remus. Remus, let me out. There was no reply. Sirius slumped against the door, swearing under his breath. There was no possible way that Greyback would concede to peace after their very public argument yesterday. Which meant that Lupin would be offering to stand in for Sirius. But he had said in his note that Mooney needed Greyback, which meant, which meant, He's going to lose. Sirius realized, horrified. Oh God, Remus is going to let himself be shot. Sirius looked around wildly for an alternate exit as he tugged his clothes on in haste. There was always the window, but he was on the fourth floor, too high to jump. Still, he pushed open the glass pane and looked down. Just then, there was a low rumble, and he saw Padfoot in the distance, stretching across the courtyard in the early morning mist. Padfoot! Padfoot! Sirius bellowed. Padfoot looked up. Come here! Quickly! Padfoot wandered over curiously. Dragons were normally asked to keep away from the side of the covert where the officers slept, 
just in case one of them staggered and knocked into the building. He peered into the window as best he could with one curious golden eye, hopping up a little on his hind legs to see. Is this where you sleep, Sirius? he asked. It is very nice. But why are you awake so early? Never mind that, Sirius said. Listen carefully, Hadfoot. I am going to jump out of this window, and I need you to catch me, do you understand? Oh, Padfoot said brightly. Is this a game? All right. No, you know what? Yes, yes, it is a game. Sirius flung one leg over the window. And you win when you catch me, so I do not die a messy death on the stones below us, yes. Die. Padfoot looked alarmed. Sirius, this sounds dangerous, perhaps we should not. One, two, three, catch. Sirius took a deep breath and leapt, eyes shut tight. There was a noise of distress above him, and then he was landing hard in two cradled, scaly claws. Padfoot huffed as he set him down. That was not fun, he grumbled. I don't like this game. Thank you, darling. Sirius brushed himself off before beginning to run. I have to go. Lupin, Remus, is in danger. Tell Fawkes, tell Pomfrey, they both ought to know. He's gone to fight a duel with Captain Greyback. And Admiral Dumbledore if you can find him. Padfoot scampered over to where the other dragons were sleeping, and promptly launched himself at Fox. Wake up, wake up! Humph! What? What is the meaning of this? Remus and Captain Greyback, they are fighting a duel. Remus is in danger. Padfoot repeated Sirius's words anxiously. He was not certain what a duel was, but Sirius had looked so pale and frightened. It must be a bad thing. What? Mooney's giant silver head suddenly loomed in front of him, and Padfoot cursed himself and the early morning silence for his voice having carried so far. Remus is in danger. Where? Padfoot, where? I don't know. Padfoot pawed the ground, raking up dirt with his nervous talons. What is a duel? Absolutely forbidden. Fox was rising now, shaking the sleep off his dull red scales. It is when humans stand in a field and try to kill each other in combat. Utter nonsense, I don't know why they do it. I must report this to Albus at once. Mooney let out a low, fearful moan. Padfoot was not sure what to do. He nudged the shaking silver dragon with his snout in a comforting sort of way. I am sure Sirius will find them and stop them. He seemed very determined. Captain Greyback will not stop. Mooney shook his head. He has fought secret duels before, and he has never lost. He told me once that I am not allowed to interfere. He might even shoot Sirius if Sirius tries to interfere. Oh, Remus. What? Padfoot shot up. Well, we cannot let that happen. Come on. His wings were already unfurling. Mooney blinked up at him, clearly struggling internally. You are his dragon, you can get him to leave them both alone. Come on, Mooney. Mooney nodded once, and then hesitantly unfurled his own giant wings. He took a deep breath. For Remus, he said with shaky determination. Let's go. The highlands surrounding Hogwarts were white with morning frost, which normally Padfoot would have grumbled over, ever preferential to the summer heat over the cold northern climate. In this instance, however, he was grateful, for it made the little dueling humans stand out starkly in contrast beneath them. Below, Sirius was running, almost directly in Padfoot's shadow. 
He was shouting as he ran, waving his arms frantically. Up ahead, Padfoot could see Captain Greyback and Remus walking away from each other by the lock, and relief flooded him. Look, Mooney, he cheered, slowing their flight. They have decided not to fight after all. That is a relief, Mooney sighed. I knew Captain Greyback could not really kill Remus. They are both of my crew after. He broke off with a loud cry as the two humans turned around. They both raised their pistols. There was a pause, and then Remus fired his into the sky. There was another short, silent pause that seemed to Padfoot to stretch for an eternity, and then Captain Greyback fired, and Remus collapsed. Mooney let out an anguished roar, one that Padfoot had not heard outside of battle, flying as fast as he could. Padfoot beat his wings harder, trailing behind. Below them, Sirius was still running. Captain Greyback looked up into the sky and paled as a twenty-ton silver dragon, eyes full of pain and fury, descended on him. He shakily raised his pistol again, shouting, Back, back, Mooney, how dare you leave the covert? Mooney did not respond. He simply landed, claws outstretched, pinning his captain to the ground and growling over him. You shot Remus. I am, your, captain. The man wheezed. You will obey, me. No. Mooney snarled. He leaned in close, baring his long white teeth, and Greyback's eyes, already bulging from lack of air, widened further. I obeyed Remus, who obeyed you. And you have shot him. You shot my Remus. Captain Greyback's face blanched as the gravity of the situation dawned on him. Pinned by an angry dragon, whose hatching he had not been present at, who had never truly bonded with him as a result, who had instead bonded with the lieutenant who raised him in the captain's stead. His right hand was still holding the pistol. Padfoot saw him angle it up, awkwardly, and fire in a panic. Mooney bellowed again as the bullet lodged itself into his lower jaw and pressed down. There was a hoarse cry, and then a small crack. Then silence until Sirius finally reached the top of the hill. Mooney flinched, as though he expected a reprimand, though Padfoot could not see why. Remus was clearly Mooney's human, and had been all along, and no dragon could be expected to tolerate a threat to his human. Thankfully, Sirius seemed to be of the same mindset, paying them no mind. Instead he fell to his knees beside Remus, who was lying still in the grass. Oh God, Remus! Remus, wake up. Sirius's voice was frantic. Oh God, no no no. He pulled Remus's body towards him, lifting him by the shoulders. Remus's head lolled against his arms, very still. Padfoot did not like it one bit. Remus ought to be lively, and gentle, and kind, and give the best nose scratches, not quiet, and pale, and bleeding all over Sirius's green coat. Sirius let out a low, ragged noise as he tore off Remus's neckcloth, pressing it against the wound. You bloody utter fool, you infuriating man, you, you, he broke off, tears starting to fall. You cannot die on me, Remus Lupin, I haven't even told you yet that I, wake up, God, please, just wake up. Just then, Remus let out a soft groan, mumbling something under his breath that Padfoot could not quite hear. Sirius seemed to though, for he let out a soft cry of his own, and then he was kissing Remus's face all over, clutching him tightly to his chest. Padfoot blinked. Well, that was new.
Mooney, Sirius called after a moment. Mooney, he's all right. Remus is alive. Mooney, curled in on himself quietly weeping, looked up at that. In a single bound, he was over by their side, anxiously nuzzling Remus's side and calling out. Remus, Remus, Remus. Remus lifted a hand to pet him, and then winced, groaning as the red spot on his shirt began to spread. His eyes began to roll back into his head, and he let out a shuddering gasp as Sirius propped him up. Remus? Oh God, stay with me, stay. Mooney, can you carry him back to Pomfrey? She must look at this wound, right away, Sirius said urgently. In an instant, Mooney had Remus cradled in his two front claws. He took off without another word, beating his wings as fast as possible back towards the covert. Sirius sighed and rubbed his eyes, walking over to Padfoot and collapsing against his side. Padfoot gave him his own nuzzle of affection. Promise me you will never be in a duel, he said sternly, and Sirius began to laugh, a little hysterically and not at all happily. I, I was meant to be in this duel, darling, he confessed finally, and Padfoot stiffened. He did not want to think of what it would have been like if Sirius had been the one hurt. He could only imagine what Mooney was going through. Absolutely not, he cried, curling around Sirius protectively. If you want to be in a duel, you must tell me who insulted you at once, and I will just squash them like Mooney did to Captain Greyback, and that will be the end of it. Oh, Fadfoot, Jeroff, you're too big to do this. Wait, what do you mean, like Mooney did? Padfoot's tail twitched anxiously as he realized what he had just called attention to. Oh, well, you mustn't blame him, Sirius. He was so very upset about Remus, so he pinned the captain down, and then Captain Greyback shot at Mooney. So, um, Mooney squashed him. Over there. Sirius broke free enough to look over and see where the slightly flattened body was laying in the grass. He was silent for a very long time. Then, at last, he looked up at Padfoot. Remus was Mooney's captain all along, wasn't he? Well, yes, of course, Padfoot said patiently. Sirius was wonderful, of course, but when it came to dragon behavior, it must be admitted that he was a little slow sometimes. And you cannot expect a dragon to let their humans attacker live, Sirius, that is quite unreasonable. Yes, Sirius said in an odd tone. Yes, I see. He shook his head slowly, then clambered up Padfoot's back until he was sat in his usual spot, on the nape of Padfoot's neck. He stroked the long black scales there softly, then leaned his forehead against them as though he were very tired. Let's go home, Padfoot. Chapter 5 In which Sirius Black writes a letter Lupin lay unconscious and still in the covert infirmary for the better part of two days, days that saw Sirius tearing his hair out, confined to his room as Dumbledore, and the Admiralty tried to figure out who was to blame for the death of one of their captains. Mooney, being an invaluable heavyweight dragon, could not in good conscience be sent to the breeding grounds in the wilds for murder, not when all intelligence pointed to Napoleon's forces gathering again with intent to attack their ally Prussia in the near future. Besides, a dragon's captain was supposed to also be their beloved companion, and Mooney turning on Greyback was unprecedented in the Corps. Nobody knew what to do with the dragon that had imprinted on someone else. Meanwhile Sirius himself, for all that he had instigated the duel, had not actually gone. Instead, Greyback's own first lieutenant had gone with the clear written intention to persuade the captain to stand down, 
and had not fired on him. Indeed, the only true rule-breaker amongst the humans was now lying dead and buried, and rather resembling a pancake, and was not missed at all amongst the other aviators. I am sorry to do it, Sirius, but it is better for you and Remus both that I do not let you out yet. Potter repeated patiently from where he sat outside the door to Sirius's room, ostensibly to guard him while Chain of Command figured out exactly who to blame for this mess. They had cracked it open so they could better speak, and Sirius was bemoaning once again that this entire exercise was a waste of time. I could stand it better if they just let me see Remus, James, just once. Sirius huffed, sliding down against the cold, rough plaster walls near the door to sit next to the crack. I know, my friend, and if I could smuggle you in without giving the Admiralty another reason to label you a troublemaker, I would. Soothe Potter. Besides, you know Tonks is there with Teddy, and one of them will run up here to let us know the minute there is a change in his condition. I know. Sirius scrubbed his bleary, unshaven face with his palm. His thick black hair was untied and lank, brushing against his shoulders. Captain Sirius Black, privateer would have been horrified at how disheveled he had let himself get, having always aimed for charming rake or dashing sea captain, regardless of his environment. Captain Sirius Black, potentially disgraced aviator, did not give a damn. When I close my eyes though, James, I keep seeing it. Him, bleeding out in my arms, because of my impulsive temper. Truly, it is my fault. None of that, Potter said sharply. Greyback got what was coming to him if you ask me. Frankly I am ashamed that it took an outsider to come in and force us to see how much we all accepted his abuse towards his crew. For years, none of us ever thought we had the power to do a thing about it, so feared were his connections, when if we had only spoken up, it might never have come to this. Sirius laughed ruefully. I have never been good at accepting the abuse of those in power, true enough. My defiance was the bane of my parents' existence. And yet, that same defiance is a mighty gift to us. Yes, all of us. Potter admonished when Sirius made a small, disbelieving noise in the back of his throat. Remus will be the first to rejoice that Greyback is gone, believe me. Once he wakes up, you'll see. If he wakes up, Sirius whispered, finally voicing the chill fear that still clung to his ribs like cobwebs. When he wakes up, Potter repeated gently. And then the two of you might finally have an honest conversation about what you mean to each other, hmm. Instead of pining so loudly that the dragons themselves try to intervene with mating gifts. Wait, what? Oh, you didn't know? Potter snickered. Prongs told me ages ago, the old gossip. The gold chain and the music box were supposed to be from you, you know. Padfoot and Mooney both arranged them as mating gifts, like dragons give to each other. Sirius stared blankly across the room trying to picture Patfoot sticking his face into a terrified jeweler's door and imperiously demanding a nice necklace for his captain to court with. For the first time in days, he felt a twinge of laughter swell, which set Potter off more, until the two of them were almost crying on the floor with glee. And the worst part is, Sirius gasped. I think it worked. My own dragon. Courted Remus for me successfully. I can't breathe, Potter choked out. How did Padfoot, the bluntest and most obstinate dragon we have, do better than you? He broke off again, cackling. I swear to you, James, I was so suave when I was a privateer. Moaned Sirius. A dalliance in every port. I never had any trouble wooing until I came here and... And... And fell in love with the most closed-off man in the damn aerial corps. 
Do shut up, Potter. I'm just saying, the man literally took a bullet for you, Black. I know. Sirius took a deep breath, sobering up. But I think he may have taken it for himself, actually. He said he wanted to finally stand against Greyback on his own. I do not know if his own feelings reach the depth of mine. His warnings against us getting attached gave every indication to the contrary. James sighed. It is maddening how similar you are to each other in your stubbornness. If you do not have that honest conversation with him, Sirius, I shall give Padfoot the capital to buy more gold chains to court him with at once. You would not dare. Bigger, Padfoot, even gaudier than the last. Have it spell out I love you, Remus Lupin, in diamonds. I hate you, grumbled Sirius. Potter rapped on the door with his knuckles affectionately. I adore you as well, my friend. Rapid footsteps slapping against the stone stairwell broke off their jovial reprieve. Sirius tensed and shut the crack in the door at once, leaving Potter's facsimile of standing guard intact. He pressed his ear against the wood, and his heart leapt when he heard whose voice was arguing on the other side. Let me through, Potter. You know I cannot, he's under lock and key for a reason. Give me the message. I swear to all that is holy, James Potter, if you do not let me through. Tonks. Sirius blurted out as he wrenched open the door. What news do you bring? Tonks, arms folded and eyes weary, shot Potter a thoroughly unimpressed glare. Under lock and key, hem. Potter threw his hands in the air. Sirius, can you please at least try to appear as if you were a prisoner, before they change their minds and throw you in the actual jail? They can hang me for all I care, James, Tonks, what news? Is he? Has he? He's awake. She reassured them both, and there was a collective sigh of relief. Awake and asking for you, Captain. He almost shouted down the roof when Admiral Dumbledore informed him of your present circumstances. Well, at least we know his lungs weren't affected, Potter said in good humor. Sirius, still shaky with the news that Lupin was alive and well, let out a slightly hysterical bark of laughter. Thank God, he muttered. Aye, Tonks, will you tell him? She held up a hand to stop him, an uncharacteristically stern glint in her dark-ringed eyes. She looked as though she hadn't slept for days, which was likely close to the truth. I am your lieutenant, captain, and your cousin besides. However, I am also Remus's dear friend, and the mother of his child. The two of you put yourselves in totally unnecessary danger, and Teddy almost lost his father because of it. Not to mention Padfoot and Mooney's distress. I am extremely cross with both of you, and not inclined to play messenger right now. Sirius slumped against the doorframe. That is entirely fair, he mumbled. For whatever my word is worth to you right now, Tonks, I am. So sorry. I will regret my actions leading to this for the rest of my days, and I swear I will never, ever invoke a duel again in the core. Tonks' chilly countenance thawed a little as she regarded the pitiful sight before her. I know, Captain, and... She hesitated. And for what it is worth, I am furious with you, but also incredibly grateful. Mooney will be Remus's charge now, Dumbledore confirmed it when he visited. It is because of your actions, however unintentional, that he will finally get his step as captain. As he always should have been. But that is brilliant, cheered Potter, slapping Sirius on the back. Sirius, overwhelmed, scrubbed away the wet in his eyes, breathing out slowly. Yes, it is, he whispered. And so you see my dilemma. Tonk's lips twitched. 
I want to strangle you, Sirius Black, but also give you a mighty hug. You've put my head in a right mess, let me tell you. Ah, well, a common sentiment. Sirius smiled back weakly. I did warn you I was the bigger black sheep of the family. So you did. Laughed Tonks, and the chill thawed further still. So you did. Well, I had best get back. Teddy will need some rest now that he knows his dar is on the mend. I only wanted to bring the news. She turned to leave, paused, turned around to punch Sirius quite hard in the arm, and followed it up with a brief kiss on his cheek. I look forward to your exoneration, Captain, and to us flying together again soon. Padfoot was curled up in the courtyard, having just watched the other dragons depart for training mournfully. Cheer up, Catherine had said in her brisk but kind way. My Lily says they cannot keep Sirius confined much longer, especially now that Remus has awoken and corroborated his story entirely. I do not see why they ever confined him in the first place though, Padfoot had groused. Ah oh, well, that is humans for you, Prongs had said wisely letting out a puff of steam as he waddled out to the training grounds, long red tail dragging behind him. One cannot always reason with them, I'm afraid, for all that they are most dear creatures. Padfoot sighed, scenting the air with his long forked tongue as the first misty rain of the day began to fall. It tasted like cold, mossy misery. Even the sight of his morning cow was not enough to cheer him. They had given him another highland breed and he'd be picking the red fur out of his teeth for days. Everything was miserable without Sirius around. The wet was too wet, the other dragons were utterly patronizing, and even the weak Scottish light was too bright, shining directly into his poor eyes. Padfoot sat up, blinking, as the bright light drifted away from his eyes and onto the cobbled courtyard in front of him. If it was a sunbeam, it was behaving terribly erratically, darting to and fro and scurrying away from him at an alarming rate. He heaved himself up, nosing at it curiously, and began to follow, until he had almost bumped his head directly into the officer's quarters. Padfoot! Padfoot! hissed someone above him. Padfoot looked up, and let out a small cry of joy as Sirius waved to him from his window, a small mirror in one hand reflecting the sun. He was looking terribly haggard, not at all like his usual handsome self, and his shirt was wretchedly wrinkled but at that moment Padfoot was certain he had never seen such a wonderful sight. Sirius! Hush, Padfoot, we mustn't let the guards outside know you're here. Sirius whispered as Padfoot raised himself onto his hind legs, balancing himself against the stone building so his head was level with the high bedroom window, snout pressed against his captain's chest in as much of a hug as they could manage in present circumstances. Hello, darling, it is good to see you too. How have you been faring? Are they feeding you all right? No, Padfoot grumbled, thinking of his disgusting Highland cow breakfast, but he changed his tune bravely when Sirius's face fell. I mean, yes, yes, I am doing very well, Sirius. But are you? I do not understand why you are still locked away. Why won't they let you out? Your guess is as good as mine, darling, Sirius sighed. I will be out soon though, I promise. James told me the Admiralty is almost done deliberating on the case, but they dare not let me out too soon for fear of Greyback's family making a fuss. Well then I shall squash them, said Padfoot hotly. Sirius chuckled. Charming as it is that you and Mooney have decided squashing people is the best method of conflict resolution, I've another task for you. He reached behind him and pulled a slightly crumpled piece of paper, 
folded in half and sealed in wax, from his desk. Will you take this to Remus for me? Nobody will let me speak to him and I. I just really need. He broke off, looking uncharacteristically lost. Of course I will, Padfoot said at once, reveling in the thrill of their partnership once more. Though, that is very small, serious. How on earth am I to carry it without tearing it? Ah, oh, have a plan for that. Sirius grinned and, thankfully, the awful lost look disappeared. Patfoot sighed internally with relief as the letter was deposited into a small laundry sack, which was looped carefully around one of Padfoot's talents. There. A proper postboy if I ever saw one. Padfoot beamed and nuzzled Sirius affectionately. I won't let you down. I know, darling. Sirius patted his head. I would not trust anyone else with this. Just, if you see him, tell him to, to read it when he is alone, would you? Padfoot nodded and carefully lowered himself back onto the ground. Above him, Sirius gave a small wave and a wink, before disappearing back into the shadowy confines of his bedroom. Absolutely not. But Mooney. No. Mooney, Sirius expressly told me that this letter needed to get to Remus. Padfoot puffed his scaly chest up in frustration. Of all the obstacles he could have thought of in getting his darling captain's message over to the hospital wing, Mooney standing in his way had not been one of them. It was a mission directly from my captain, I cannot disappoint him. Well my captain needs rest and no excitement, Madame Pomfrey told me so, retorted Mooney protectively. And he was already so angry that Sirius was locked up, they had to almost sedate him. What if Sirius wrote something upsetting and Remus gets riled up again, and hurts himself? Sirius would never, said Padfoot indignantly. I am sure the letter is perfectly wonderful and will only help Remus recover. Don't you trust me? Mooney wavered, his long-taught inclination to back down at the first sign of conflict clearly warring with his newfound confidence and fierce protective spirit. For a dragon, there was nothing so upsetting as one's human getting hurt. It meant you had failed in your duty of care, and dragons were nothing if not careful to the extreme with what was theirs. He pawed anxiously at the ground, talons clinking against the wet cobblestones. I will read it first, he finally decided. And if it is truly not upsetting, I shall take it to Remus. Oh, Padfoot hesitated. On the one hand, Sirius had very heavily implied that the letter was for Remus's eyes only. On the other hand, Sirius had not said outright that Padfoot and Mooney could not read it. And, he considered thoughtfully, it was not as though Sirius and Remus had made very good choices as of late. Really, it was only right of their dragons to review their letters and make sure they were making better choices. After all, if they had only told Padfoot about the duel, he could have squashed Greyback much faster and Remus would not have been shot at all. Yes, I think that is a very good idea. He agreed gravely, and only the little wiggle of his hindquarters betrayed his eager curiosity. Ten minutes later, once their large talons had finally got the laundry sack open, the dragon squinted down at the small, sealed bit of parchment with trepidation. It occurs to me that we do not know how to read, Mooney finally mused glumly. Well, it's not our fault, Padfoot replied hotly. Humans write on such tiny bits of paper. How is any dragon supposed to actually learn their letters if they cannot even see them? You're learning to read. A small, high voice piped up behind them. Harry stood, green eyes narrowed and hands on his hips. 
Padfoot's crew had been temporarily grounded alongside Sirius and reassigned to other jobs. He had forgotten it was Harry's turn to scrub the courtyard. Ah, uh, Padfoot brightened suddenly. Yes, Harry, we are on a special mission from Captain Sirius and you're part of his crew. You can read, can't you? Yes, Harry said slowly. Wonderful. A moment later, a laundry sack was thrust into his arms and a letter fell out. Several long minutes of wheedling later, along with the promise of an early morning flight where Harry got to sit in the captain's spot for being so very helpful, for there was literally nothing the young boy loved more than flying, and the bribe swiftly quashed his higher morals, the wax seal was cracked open, and two dragons settled in for Sirius's final judgment. Dear Remus, Dearest Remus, My beloved Remus, Remus, I am out of my mind with worry. My heart. Dear Lieutenant Lupin. Bugger it. Remus. I am uncertain how to begin this letter, if you could only see the number of pieces of paper I have already run through. James is swiftly growing tired of me begging him for more and has told me my supply is now finite, and too. Just write the bloody note. But I cannot stop revising it. I feel, perhaps, that if I could only come up with the perfect combination of words, then I could somehow make what happened to you worth it. Or at least, convince you it was worth it, to almost die in my arms, entirely because I could not hold my tongue or temper. I would not be surprised if you despised me. When I held you, gasping for air and bleeding out, I despised me with a fervor only matched by how much I feared for your life. I have held you in my arms a dozen times, a dozen ways, and I must say, this last time was my least favorite. Bugger, I am sorry. I am jesting when I wish to be serious and James really meant it apparently when he said no more paper. He's locked the door, because I begged him to end my suffering and let me start over. He's now pretending he cannot hear me. Bastard. Where was I? Remus, that last night together, you kissed me and in the same breath told me you were not worth the fight. I tell you this now, I have sailed the world twice over, and have never met a person more worthy than you. Your every smile makes my chest ache, and each hard-won laugh I pull from you is the pinnacle of my days. Do you really wonder at how I could value you so highly when a single kiss from you leaves me weak and wanting? Tell me I am not too late, tell me your good opinion of me is not lost forever. Because, in truth, yes, I would have you in my bed again if I could, in an instant. Yes, I would treasure your friendship, if that is what is offered. But my wishes, I am afraid, extend so far beyond that, selfish creature that I am. I know I have little to recommend myself, Remus. I am the disinherited heir to a loathsome line of conservative aristocrats. My flying, as you have so kindly told me in our trainings, needs work. I am rash, and though I pride myself on my ability to forge friendships, I burn bridges just as fast with my overquick temper. All I truly have is the fact that I love you. Also a dragon, but as you have one as well now, I suppose that is not really going to impress you. So love it is. I offer it now, with little hope it will be returned. I know you did not want it. I know you said we should refrain from attachment. I am afraid, my most beloved lieutenant, that ship has sailed. I was beguiled by you from the moment Mooney kidnapped us so we would not be trampled by cows. I was lost from the first kiss, through every stolen moment, through every night spent in laughter and friendship and small nudges against my leg with your boot under communal wooden tables on cold Scottish nights. I yearn for you now, sitting in agony in my room when every part of my soul cries to be by your bedside desperate to see you awake and alive and well again. Please know that one word, one discouraging look from you will be enough to silence me on the subject. 
I swear I will not pursue you further if you do not wish it. But if you do, if you do wish it, Remus Lupin, then know that I am most truly, fervently, and forever. Yours. Sirius Black. Oh, sighed Mooney, his voice dreamy as Harry finished the letter, folding it back up. Well, that was lovely. I suppose we should give that to Remus. I don't suppose you want to read it to us again first, though. Padfoot nudged Harry with his snout, swooning slightly. The young ensign's flat look and wrinkled nose was answer enough. Oh, very well. Will you take it into the medical wing for us, then? There's no need. A slightly unsteady voice rasped from behind them. All three jumped guiltily as Remus appeared from where he had been standing in the shadows of the doorway, a cane in one hand to assist as he shakily walked towards them. I'll take that. Thank you, Harry. I'm sorry, Captain. Harry squirmed as the parchment was handed over. I, they made me. Turncoat, Padfoot grumbled. Remus gave him a very dry, withering look that was tempered by how red his eyes were, lips twitching in a struggle not to smile. I have no doubt they did. He ruffled Harry's hair gently as he shooed him away. But don't fret, I have an idea as to how they can make it up to me. Sirius was lying in bed that night, staring dully up at the ceiling, when there was a short clatter, some muffled words from down below drifting up, and then a soft rap against the glass. He turned, and there, as if floating midair outside, was... Remus! Sirius scrambled to rise and promptly fell over, tripping over and tangling in his blankets in his haste as he flung open the paned window. Bloody hell, how are you? What? Blast this sheet! Remus, I. He stopped as Lupin began to laugh, which quickly turned into a hacking cough. Below, Sirius saw he was carefully kneeling atop Mooney's head, the dragon obligingly pressed against the stone walls as much as he could to provide a steady perch. Sorry, Remus wheezed, clearing his throat and attempting to stop his giggles. Oh lord, I'm sorry, you just, you wrote me the most beautiful letter known to man and I don't know. I half expected you to be sitting here like Lancelot in shining armor, but, but. Yes, well. Sirius tugged self-consciously at his nightshirt from where it had ridden up during his fall, very aware that his hair was a thick black bird's nest, and it had been a day or two, or several, since he'd last bothered shaving. I wasn't exactly expecting company just now, you know. Honestly, Lupin, you could give a man some warning. This really isn't the impression I'd hoped to make with you the next time we saw each other. I had a plan. I was going to. He stopped, because suddenly Lupin was kissing him, slender but firm fingers pulling him forward by the collar until he was leaning halfway out the window, hands clutching the frame for balance. I don't care. Lupin murmured fiercely against his lips, punctuating his point with another long kiss. I love you too, and I missed you. Remus, oh God. Remus, Sirius whispered fervently and pulled him in closer, risking the release of one hand to tangle firmly in already disheveled sandy brown curls, trusting that the man wouldn't let him fall. It lent an extra level of adrenaline to his already electrified spine to feel the safety of Lupin's hands against his shoulders, of warm lips against his, a delightful contrast to the long chilly drop below them. He paused for air, and then his brain caught up. Wait, so you. You read the letter, then? No, replied Lupin dryly. I just had a whim to pop in and reenact Rapunzel. 
though I must say I had expected slightly better hair. Your sarcasm is duly noted. Now please, Remus, put me out of my agony and tell me. Yes, I read the letter. Lupin interrupted fondly, caressing his stubbled cheek with one thumb. And I do not need you to keep me in comfort, or prove your worth. I woke up, you know, and my very first thought was of you. What had happened to you, where were you, were you alright? I've never. He paused thoughtfully, looking down once before continuing. I've never allowed myself to consider a real courtship before. Greyback would hardly have allowed my attention to be so divided. I might be terrible at it, you know. But, I'd like to try. With you? Well, Sirius said softly, mouth tugging up into a soft grin. We are more alike than not then. I have never had a real courtship either, and I'm absolutely terrified of failing you again, but I desperately wish to try anyway. Who would have thought? Lupin laughed and kissed him again, short and sweet this time. I'll take the love you offer and return it thrice fold, if you'll let me. Yes. Sirius beamed and leaned in again. Just as there was a scrambling noise and Padfoot hastily poked his head around the corner of the building. Madam Pomfrey, he whispered as stealthily as a dragon could, which was to say, not quietly at all. Lupin wobbled as Mooney's head turned to a short, indignant squawk from down below. The young, pleasantly plump nurse had her hands on her hips as she glared up at them, a fearsome sight in her starched white apron. And what do you think you are doing, Remus John Lupin? Ah, Lupin hastily leaned away from Sirius. Hello, Poppy. I did not discharge you. You are not fit to be up and about. I feel fine, Poppy. You come down here this instant before that dragon drops you on your head. Lupin sighed. Poppy. You. She squinted and caught sight of Sirius, who resisted the strong urge to duck and hide behind his window curtains. I should have expected you'd be encouraging this madness, Captain Black. Oh no, my good woman, Sirius said solemnly. I was just telling Lupin here that he ought to get back to your um, tender ministrations. You really ought to have known better, Lupin. The look Lupin gave him as the exasperated man was gently lowered to the ground and promptly trundled back to the hospital wing had him grinning wildly to himself. He'd make it up to him tomorrow when Padfoot helped him escape his rooms and sneak into Lupin's bed. Thricefold. Black, you're flying too low. You're going to lose the headwind. Insufferable know-it-all. Sirius called out as he and Padfoot corrected course, glaring up at the green-clad captain with the megaphone kneeling atop the silver dragon to their right. Lupin smiled at that, Sirius's favorite small, genuine half-smile and gave him a quick wink before he turned back to shout another order to his crew. Sirius fought back his own wide grin, though from Evans's cackle to their left, he knew he had been caught out. Why don't you smile when I correct you, Black? She asked, swooping past as Catherine mimicked her patented acid spray down onto the invisible enemy below. Sirius did not bother dignifying her with a response, though if his hand happened to slip into a bit of a rude gesture, as he stood to straighten his shoulder harness straps, well. Her laugh echoed through the highlands as their training formation set course back towards Hogwarts, the fresh air bracing but clean against Sirius's skin, which glowed a faint orange with the last of the dying light. The weather could not have been better for their first training session as a full regiment again, 
Mooney joyfully taking up the space they'd left him for the past several weeks as the first warm spring breezes swept the fields below them. Frank Longbottom and the rest of the ground's crew scuttled up to the dragons like remoras to sharks as soon as they landed, busily unstrapping harnesses and brushing away any debris they may have acquired during their long day of training. Harry and Teddy wove between them with the rest of the ensigns, young high voices eager to help, and avoid their own bath and bedtimes. Teddy in particular was a wild ball of energy unleashed now that his fear of gray back had no foundation, zooming around the courtyard and nearly tripping over several pieces of important equipment. Tonks grabbed her son as he tried to dart past her, tugging him in for a loud kiss on top of his curly head. Slow down, my baby, you'll hurt yourself. Ma! Teddy hissed, squirming away. I will not, I know what I'm doing, and don't kiss me. That's embarrassing. His own mother, he calls an embarrassment. Tonks gasped theatrically. To think I raised such a ruffian. Who raised a ruffian? Lupin's wry voice cut in behind them, and Sirius brightened as he saw the windswept man strolling towards them, shoulders held high in a way they had never been before. Not us, surely, Tonks. We're excellent parents. Must be some other boy. Alas, Tonks said gravely. It's true, my dearest Remus. Being the son of a captain has gone entirely to his head. No, Teddy protested, flushing pink. It has not. Ah, Lupin crouched down next to the abashed boy. May I tell you a secret, Teddy? The young boy nodded. Lupin looked around and then whispered. Being captain's gone straight to my head too. Teddy let out a startled little laugh. But even captains' sons must mind their mothers. Yes, duh. Sorry, Ma. Teddy's eyes were shining bright as he began to dart away, before catching himself. He threw a quick look over his shoulder at his parents and adjusted, walking sedately to where the other ensigns were gathered. Better. Tonks called after him, before winking at Sirius and Lupin both, and striding off in the direction of McKinnon, who had called forth the first lieutenants to discuss battle strategy. She only tripped twice on the smooth cobblestones on her way over, perhaps a personal best, though Sirius was far too preoccupied with losing himself and Lupin's fine features to note it. You're staring, Lupin murmured, not breaking eye contact. You're staring back, countered Sirius, smirking slightly. So we are at an impasse. You know, it occurs to me that, now that I am cleared for action, we have some things to discuss said Lupin as they fell next to each other, walking sedately towards their quarters. Indeed, Sirius said gravely. Perhaps in my rooms, Captain Lupin? An excellent idea, Captain Black. Sirius, Lupin groaned. Sirius ignored it, focusing entirely on peppering Lupin's neck with as many love bites as could be hidden by one neckcloth the next day as his fingers fumbled with stiff new coat buttons. Each rapidly darkening bite eased a bit of the tension he hadn't realized was still inside of him, a small proof that Lupin was alive, and well, that his blood still thrummed in his veins, that Sirius hadn't inadvertently orchestrated his death. It wasn't enough. Sirius, if you tear this new coat, I swear. Sirius lifted his head just long enough to crush desperate lips against Lupin's mouth, stopping the protests at their nexus. He shrugged his own coat off and tugged harder until there was a little popping noise, the small ping of a button hitting the ground, and a muffled. Sirius, 
against his lips, but he couldn't stop, not until he felt warm, a live skin against his, not until he convinced his mind that he hadn't lost this man forever, not. Hey now, breathe. There were warm, firm hands against his cheeks, his head tugged forward until he was leaning his forehead against Lupin's, breath coming in raggedly, eyes shut tight. I'm sorry. He gasped. Sorry, I just. You're alive, I know you're alive but I do not think all of me. Believes it. Don't speak, breathe. One of his shaking hands was slipped into a half-undone shirt and pressed against warm skin. A firm chest, slowly and steadily rising and falling. In and out with me, love. Love, murmured Sirius, eyes opening as his heart rate finally began to slow. That's new. He smiled a little as Lupin flushed. Well, my dear is reserved for Mooney, but I, I wanted something for you, now that we're. If you do not like it. I never said that. Sirius kissed him again, slow and gentle now, his nerves settled and thrumming pleasantly in time with the beat of the heart against his palm. I like it. I like it very much, my love. If anything, Lupin flushed even redder, looking pleased though he tried to hide it. You just had to copy me, he murmured, kissing him back. Find your own term of endearment, Black. Well, if you insist, my love bunny. Sirius. No. Sirius grinned as he tugged them both towards the bed, slipping their shirts off with gentle efficiency. My darling petal, my sweet muffin. Dear Lord, you were terrible at this. I did warn you I might be. Sirius rolled over pinning Lupin down beneath him and nipping at his jawline with great enthusiasm. I've not had anyone I've ever needed to use terms of endearment with. Well, aside from my darling Padfoot, are you saying you don't wish to be my beloved little cabbage? Go back to using my love, you absolute menace. Lupin laughed, even as he began shucking their remaining clothing off. I yield the point. Sirius beamed and was gracious in his victory assisting Lupin until they were left with naught but bare skin between them. The passion in the room had not stilled, but it was slower now, more deliberate as Sirius brushed the pads of his fingers against lightly freckled skin, dragged his mouth back and forth on slender hips, and teased the very tip of his tongue up and down the hardened, velvet length of the man underneath him. Sirius came a sigh above him, and he watched with great satisfaction as Lupin shuddered, then moaned as he enveloped that length in the wet, silky heat of his mouth. It was slow still, sensual as he wrapped his tongue around as far as it would go, looking up to see Lupin biting his lip and tensing in an effort not to spill too soon, tendons in his neck strained as his head flung back against the pillow. Ha, Sirius, if you wish to do more tonight, you must stop, ah. Stop now, he panted, and Sirius slowly released him, crawling up the length of his body. He lowered himself down and breathed in the scent of cold Scottish winds, mixed with the scent of dragon and tea that Lupin always carried with him. Will you let me have you? Or would you prefer it the other way around tonight? Your wish is my command, my love, he murmured. To his delight, Lupin shivered viscerally, goosebumps raising near where Sirius breathed. I would have you take me, he decided, voice soft, and Sirius let out an involuntary twitch of his hips dropping his forehead briefly against his shoulder before he scrambled up for the oil, returning to bed and rolling back into his favorite spot, on top of Lupin. He was surprised when Lupin moved in tandem, rolling them both until he landed on top, straddling his lap.
by the time he was sinking down, enveloping Sirius in the tight, slick heat of his body, Sirius was holding his breath, naming every single dragon breed in rapid succession in his head to keep himself from coming immediately like a graceless lad in his first entanglement. All right, my love. He managed as Lupin stilled at the bottom, letting out small involuntary ass as he adjusted, hips wriggling slightly. Oh lord, yes, just, been a while since we've done this, came the breathless reply. There was a little more wriggling. Sirius whimpered and sang a particularly obnoxious sea shanty in his head as loudly as he could, anything to distract himself from the tight hot spill 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 nerves singeing his spine, until. All right, you can move, came the whisper in the dim lantern light above him. Make me feel it, love. Sirius sat up at that and buried his face in the junction between neck and shoulder, breathing in. Anything you want, he swore fervently, and then thrust his hips up. Ah. Sirius's hands slid over Lupin's ribs, holding onto his back firmly as he rolled them up and down together. Lips fell forward and leaned down to capture his, enthusiastic groans and breathless encouragement falling between them until it was hard to tell who was speaking, their voices entirely in chorus. Amber brown eyes caught his, hazy with pleasure as Captain Lupin disappeared and became Remus, stripped of his usual tightly held control, the way Sirius loved him best. He reached out and grasped the hard length between them, fingers still slick with oil. Oh hell, Sirius, Sirius, I'm going too, I won't last, ah. Uh. Let go, then, let go for me. Sirius breathed, crushed their lips together, and increased the speed of both his hand and hips until Lupin was gasping, writhing and going tight, so tight around him, spilling over his knuckles in heady, uncontrolled bursts. Sirius swore and shut his eyes tumbling over the edge after him immediately, still enveloped firmly in the slick heat of his body. In the aftermath, Sirius reluctantly extricated himself and pulled a drowsy lupin towards him, pressing them together as much as he physically could, face to face. Remus? Hem. One sleepy eye opened. I love you. Sirius kissed the tip of his nose and felt the thrill of it the release of his words almost as heady as their physical release prior. I love you too, replied Lupin easily, a small half-smile on his lips. There was a giant, alarming sniff from directly outside the window. I love you both, Patfoot declared loudly, and Sirius let out, though he'd later deny it, a high-pitched shriek worthy of a ship's whistle. Patfoot. And Mooney. A large silver head appeared next to the black one at the window both jostling for position as Lupin scrambled to cover them both with a blanket. Mooney, what on earth are you doing? He admonished once he had ensured their dignity was intact. Padfoot said we ought to check in on you. Are you well, Remus? I heard some noises, it sounded like you might be in pain. Oh lord. Lupin's face was bright red, and he buried it in his hands, sandy brown hair flopping over his brow. Sirius snickered and felt a sharp kick against his ankle. I'm fine, thank you, Mooney. Um, do you mean to say my noises were audible down in the dragon courtyard? Oh no, Mooney said reassuringly. We were already right below the window. We've set up guard duty to make sure you and Sirius do not get challenged to any more duels. So this is your fault, Lupin grumbled under his breath. You and Padfoot are a terrible influence. I'll take care of it, Sirius laughed. 
He pressed a quick kiss to Lupin's bare shoulder, then reached over and grabbed his dressing gown. Once he was suitably attired, he walked over to the window, pushing it open fully. Padfoot, darling, I appreciate the sentiment but there is no need to guard us. I swear on my honor, no more jewels. Padfoot and Mooney remained unconvinced. Remus has to swear too, Mooney declared suspiciously. No more jewels. Lupin's voice floated from behind them. Well all right, the silver dragon said, mollified. I suppose that's fine. I shall go to sleep, then. Good night, dear Remus. Good night, Mooney, came the muffled reply, as Lupin buried his face in his pillow. Padfoot looked over at him, and then back at Sirius. So the courting gifts worked, he said brightly. I knew they were a good idea, Sirius. Prongs tried to tell me it was silly, but I knew nobody would be able to say no to that lovely gold. Do you think perhaps that could be our career, if we ever tire of fighting? I would make an excellent matchmaker, I think. Darling, you are the best matchmaker I know, and I owe you everything. Sirius felt an overwhelming burst of fondness in his chest for his enthusiastic companion. Truly, everything. I would not trade you for all the gold in the world, you know. All of it. Padfoot's eyes widened. That is a lot of gold, Sirius. And you're worth more than the lot of it. Sirius reached out, scratching the soft snout before him, and Padfoot let out a little pleased rumble. Which is why I swear to you, I will not duel again and risk losing a second of time with you, or with Remus. Really? Padfoot gently nuzzled against his hand. I believe you now, he said happily. I would also not trade you for any gold ever, Sirius. Then will you leave the guarding and go to sleep? Oh no, Padfoot said, tail wagging excitedly. Now that I know my courtship gifts work, I must plan. There are so many other people in our crew who could use my skills, Sirius. Um, darling, perhaps you ought to ask before you. Padfoot. Padfoot, wait. Come back. Padfoot. First Lieutenant Nymphadora Tonks was sitting in the courtyard one morning when Teddy arrived thin arms wrapped around a hastily wrapped box. A gift for you, Ma, he declared, setting it on the ground with a sigh of relief. It's a heavy one too. Tonks raised her eyebrows. A gift from whom, Ted? I don't know, the young boy admitted, scratching his curly hair. Padfoot said someone dropped it off at the gate for you. He gave her a brief kiss on the cheek before darting away again to deliver the rest of the Daily Mail. Oh he did, did he? Tonks' eyes narrowed with suspicion as the large black dragon waddled past, eyes firmly fixed in the air above him in a study of determined casualness. If Padfoot thought she would indulge in his courtship nonsense that they had plotted for Sirius and Remus, he had better rethink his strategy. Granted, it had worked, she mused, watching as the two captains emerged from the mess hall, James's strong coffees in hand and eyes only for each other. Several months into their courtship, and one fraught tour in Prussia to fight off Napoleon's forces aside, they were inseparable, and the reunion after that tour had frankly been entirely too dramatic for her taste. Sirius had sustained a minor injury, a shallow shoulder wound, and Remus had practically thrown himself at the man upon their return, carrying on about how he could have lost him as if he himself had not been shot in the chest the same year. Honestly. Still, a gift was a gift and no doubt the dragon had spent an inordinate sum of their recent prize money on it. She unsheathed her sword and nicked the paper open, tearing into it, 
anticipation rising before falling back to earth with an alarming thud. What on earth? She gaped. Padfoot, who would like this piece of? What a lovely piece? A musical voice mused, and Tonks felt her cheeks go red as Mademoiselle Fleur Delacour, spy in Napoleon's court and the most beautiful woman Tonks had ever seen, appraised the hideous gold and filigreed umbrella stand before them. Oh, she said weakly. Um, yes, isn't it? Someone must admire you very much to have sent it to you. Fleur smiled at her, blue eyes twinkling and long silvery hair loose in the wind. She was wearing a light blue dress of the latest French fashion, and it flattered her figure beautifully. Two officers walking past craned their necks so swiftly to gawk that they ran into each other, collapsing into a heap in the courtyard. Ermgen, Tonks said succinctly. Fleur laughed. It sounded like wind chimes and sunshine. I do not think we have met. She held out a slender hand. Mademoiselle Fleur de la Cour. Yes, I know, Tonks said breathlessly, before flushing. I mean, we all know. You, we know who you are. Not just me, though I know too. Um, First Lieutenant Tonks, at your service. She grabbed Fleur's hand and kissed it just to stop herself from talking, bowing slightly. A pleasure, Lieutenant Tonks, Fleur murmured, and if one were looking closely it might be possible to see a slight blush on her fair cheeks. I, I don't suppose you would have time to take a turn with me around the lake. I appear to have arrived at early for my meeting with Admiral Dumbledore, and could use some campen. The pleasure would be all mine, Tonks beamed, and held out her arm. Well, perhaps she would indulge Padfoot just a little. Finite. Thanks for listening to this text-to-speech podfic composed by Burning Aurora.